Hello and welcome to That Film Stew. I'm Luke. And I'm Jason. Welcome to our 300th episode, also known as our Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 Special. We've spent a lot of time talking about movies and TV, whether it's the news or reviews. 300 episodes, in fact. A big chunk of what we're talking about comes from the epic franchise that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But when we started that film, Stu, it was around the time that the MCU was wrapping up their phase two. So as a result, our first MCU review was Ant-Man. We thought with our 300th episode, let's go back and revisit phase one of the MCU to give our proper thoughts on where this hugely popular and successful film franchise began. And hopefully one day we'll complete it by going back and doing phase two. We'll be revisiting all six movies from phase one of the MCU from Iron Man from 2008 to the Avengers, which came out in 2012. Throughout the episode, we'll share our thoughts on each of these movies and give our definitive rating. Be warned, however, that for all six of these movies, we will be talking spoilers. We spoke about how we would approach covering these movies. Being comic book movies, we thought about talking about them on Sounds Like Comics. Being older movies, how about episodes devoted to them on Rewind and Review? But we decided that this was the place to do it and to tackle the whole of phase one in one hit. Hopefully in future, either Sounds Like Comics or Rewind and Review episodes, we can devote single shows to these individual films. But for now, at least they'll be covered. That's true. So phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a series of superhero films produced by Marvel Studios based on characters that appear in publications by Marvel Comics, if you didn't know. Um, Kevin Feige produced every film in the phase alongside Avi Arad for Iron Man and The Incredible Hulk, with Gail Ann Hurd also producing The Incredible Hulk. The six films in the phase... Um, on a combined budget of $1 billion, grossed over $3.8 billion at the global box office and received generally positive critical and public response. Phase one is the first of the three phases that make up the Infinity Saga. It just seemed like a no-brainer. When we're trying to come up with a theme to celebrate 300 episodes of the podcast, I mean... Each time we do the movie show, there's at least one Marvel story, whether it's film or TV. It's, it's like we owe them something. And this is <laughs> the only way we can pay them back. Yes. And sure. our Disney Plus <laughs> subscriptions and every movie ah, on the big screen. We pay them back yes. in, in money, as well as showing I up. I pay to watch the movie. I buy the Blu-ray. I pay for Disney Plus. Yeah, you know, there's all that. The merchandise, the, the shirts, the... Anyway. So before we get to the six films, and I've got to be honest, like for some reason, I always think five. I'm guessing it's because there's two Iron Man movies, or Iron Man movies, I should say. But yeah, it is six that films, or, isn't it? That or you don't count Incredible Hulk. Something in your brain's telling you something. I don't know. I don't we'll know. get to <laughs> it, but this latest viewing, I had a different experience with that film. But before we get to the actual six films of phase one we could talk a little bit about the history of the mcu and marvel studios 
Marvel Studios has released 24 films within the Marvel Cinematic Universe from Iron Man in 2008 to Black Widow in 2021 and three TV series since 2021 from WandaVision to Loki. These films and TV series all share continuity with each other along with one shots produced by the studio. Marvel films were previously licensed out to other studios Things like Blade, X-Men, Spider-Man, Daredevil, Electra Punisher, Fantastic Four. You've heard them all. Um, the major Marvel characters uh, were all over the place. New Line Cinema, Lionsgate Entertainment, 20th Century Fox, Universal, Columbia Pictures, etc. The idea of a shared cinematic universe with Marvel's A-team of characters, basically it wasn't possible. Marvel gained the film rights to Iron Man in November 2005 from New Line Cinema. Marvel gained the rights to Hulk in February 2006 from Universal, with Universal owning the distribution rights to any future Marvel Studios produced Hulk films. That might explain why he's popping up in other films and not his own. Absolutely, 100%. Um, but basically, with, with characters coming... Back into Marvel's catalogue, there was an idea, as Nick Fury says. Um, It was realised that Marvel had access to the core characters that could make up the Avengers, also known as, as they refer to, the the B-team. Marvel Studios would set out to produce these films independently um, with a major studio assisting just on the, with the distribution, pretty much. That's crazy, isn't it? To think that those core Avengers characters were the B-team at the time. They weren't the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, all the bigger characters. All the ones that Marvel had sold to (laughs) to other (laughs) production companies and studios. Nuts. Edgar Wright's pitch for Ant-Man in 2006 helped shape the early films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with Kevin Feige saying that some of the MCU was changed to accommodate this version of the film, as that version helped to dictate what they did with the roster for Avengers the first time. Ultimately, Ant-Man was not included in the original Avengers roster. Kevin Feige, uh, you know, the man behind it all, he was named president of production at Marvel Studios in March 2007, um, just as Iron Man began filming. Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, and Captain America, the first Avenger, that's from 2008 until 2011, were distributed by Paramount Pictures. The Incredible Hulk from 2009 was distributed by Universal. And this is where things get saucy. Um, On December 31st, 2009, the Walt Disney Company purchased Marvel Entertainment for $4 billion, just some loose change. Um, Both Marvel and Disney stated that the merger would not affect any pre-existing deals with other film studios for the time being, although Disney said they would distribute future Marvel projects um, with their own studio once the deals expired. On October 18th, 2010, Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures acquired the distribution rights for the Avengers from Paramount Pictures with Paramount's logo and credit remaining on the films. And in 2013, Disney purchased the distribution rights to Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, the first Avenger from Paramount. 
And in August 2015, Marvel Studios was officially placed into Walt Disney Studios with Kevin Feige reporting directly to Walt Disney Studios chairman Alan Horn. And I guess, uh, you know, the, the rest was history. We've, like you said, 24 movies down, more to come, three Marvel Studios Disney Plus shows and, again, more to come, a couple one-shots that they eventually stopped doing. Uh, yeah, some good times, good times. But how weird, I mean, first up, how weird was it looking back at these these movies and it's like, there's the Paramount logo. Just yeah, just there. And it stuck around longer, yeah, for- longer than I remembered, if I'm honest, going back and doing and doing the rewatch. And the Marvel, essentially the Marvel logo we're getting is what we saw with those other Marvel films at different Studios, yeah the 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 old comic book flipping thing, which from memory serves that doesn't change until I think Doctor Strange was the first time they had Marvel Studios' own logo. I believe it was Doctor Strange, which is yes, I years think, away. I think you're right because they got a composer from one of the other movies to actually just do the music specifically for for the logo. I think it was the guy that did one of the Guardians films. But yeah, but it was very distinctive. I think you're right. Yeah, it was Doctor Strange, which, I mean, what's that phase three? I believe it was, I believe it was Michael Caccino. Who okay, I was thinking it was somebody else. I mean, we've clearly done a lot of prep into the history. <laughs> <laughs> we just missed out certain things, but it, it was a hey, lot. We're focusing cover. on phase one, so that was as no, far as my is, history. Yes, that friend. is true. Yeah, that is true. You <laughs> set us on this path to be talking about something that happened in phase two. Uh, my bad. My apologies. My apologies. Um, but look, I, I just want to take a moment. I mean, we're about to get into all of the the, the movies and stuff, and I'll, I'll let you guide us into them. But um, you know, we should take a moment, moment of silence, but not really because audio. Um, dead silence was never good but mate 300 episodes here we are we're about to talk about iron man and um and his friends um it's been a while it's been a it's been a few years yeah it's i think 300 is a pretty big milestone i was gonna say it's been a lot of episodes it's been 300 (laughs) it has been (laughs) a lot of episodes and as i said earlier like a lot of those episodes whether it's the movie show or individual reviews, it's talking about the the MCU. And it wasn't until I decided, just for fun, to go back and do a full rewatch of the MCU, starting with Iron Man. And I think I'd got as far as Iron Man 3, and you and I were just having a few exchanges about our thoughts on it. And I was like, hang on. Because we talk in depth about the movies as they come out. We review them. We talk about news on the movie show. But we had this big this big blind spot on the podcast, and it's phase one and two. So we're going to do phase one today. And I thought, what a good way to celebrate 300 episodes if the two of us for the first time, really, talk phase one. Yeah, that's, that's right. And I've, you know, because of this, I, it was a tight squeeze, but I managed to... To get all six movies rewatched before coming into this, because I wanted fresh thoughts on, you know, I know how I felt about them, and I've, I've done a, I've done a rewatch a few times, but not for, not for a few years. Uh, when Endgame came out, I did just the, 
Avengers films and that one Captain America movie that is basically an Avengers movie. Um, but I haven't done, yeah, I haven't done a lot of these older you know, individual ones for, for a while. So but let's do it. Let's do it. And you know, there's, yeah, there's a few things to talk about. Some things have really changed and looking back, it's where, where this whole thing started. It's such a, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things. So, Before we get into Iron Man 1, I said I went back to that movie to do a full rewatch. If you're curious, I had to hit pause on the movie I was watching to do this podcast. I'm three quarters of the way through Infinity War. So I'm almost completely (laughs) caught up. Thor was just about to arrive in Wakanda. Oh I had to hit pause. God. You're welcome. I'm here. We're doing the podcast. Well, that's where I'm up to <laughs> in my big rewatch. But yes, Iron Man 2008. I think I know the answer already. Maybe it's more of an assumption. Did you watch Iron Man at the cinema? I did. I did. But, you know, at the time going into watch it, I mean, I even remember like the trailers coming out and. To be honest, it was just like, okay, you know, a, a new Marvel movie. You know, we'd, we'd had the Spider-Mans. We'd had Daredevil, Elektra, Punisher, the X-Men films, Fantastic Four. It was like, okay, yeah, they're doing a new one. Cool. It didn't, like, I remember the trailers not even looking that great to me. I was like, oh, he's, you know, the flight scenes look kind of hokey. He just kind of looks like he's floating there in, like, in the clouds. Um I went to went to watch it and you know blew my mind. Who knew where like what this was starting, um, and who knew that I should have stayed and watched the end of the credits because I oh, did. Oh, did you not? I damn! I never had that oh, moment. I never. Oh. I was robbed of that moment because yes. since when do since when are there end credit scenes? I know there was a couple couple times in, in the X Men movies and Fantastic Four movies, but like not on this scale though. No, not on the no. scale because I mean but now we know with that first Iron Man film. I, you know, we we credited Edgar Wright in the opening there. A lot of what he was bringing to Ant Man, although he didn't get to make that film, like his influence was on the MCU. But Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, like you watch that first film, and from him you get the feel of what we know as the MCU today. Like so much came from him as an actor, his his performance. And until Iron Man, I think a couple of years prior, I watched him in the Shane Black action comedy, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yep. But before that, it had been a while since I'd seen him. So he was no longer like a bankable star. Like he'd had problems in his personal life. But it was John Favreau that is looking at Downey Jr. And he's saying, hey, this guy is Tony Stark and what people may know about him in his personal life and what he can bring to this character is going to feed into one another. And boy, was Favreau right. But this movie I did see on the big screen. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I did hear that there was a post credit scene. So I still got that like shock moment when Sam Jackson as Nick Fury approaches Stark and he's talking about the Avenger initiative. And it was like, holy crap. I mean, it was, it was a moment. 
And in that moment, you're like, wow, this is, this is amazing. But never in a million years could have you anticipated what that moment would bring. I remember like, obviously when I found out that like, like, oh, there's a, there's a post-credit, like there's a scene after the end of the credits. Like, I don't even think I heard the phrase post-credit scene before. I was still really young. I wasn't that young. I was 18. Um, went to YouTube and waited for my shitty internet to, to load this, you know, like this one minute clip. Probably took about 10 minutes. Um, and, you know, it was like a, a recorded in the cinema, like really dodgy. I was like, is that Samuel Jackson? Is it? <laughs> Dead Avengers and, like, you know, I had my mini little mind blowing, like, oh, wow. But then there was still hesitation of, like, what if this movie doesn't do all that great? And I've been disappointed by teasers of, like, sequels and things before with other movies and stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, they set it up. Are they going to do it? Maybe they won't do it. I mean, yeah, sometimes, you know, films set things up and it never actually mm. goes anywhere, but... I mean, I don't remember those trailers, to be honest. It's been so long since I've seen the Iron Man trailers. But just watching, watching the film, and again, like nobody could have anticipated what the MCU was going to become, and is still becoming today. But it just it felt like it felt like something special, like it was something different. Yeah. And and just a word that comes to mind is this movie. In fact, like the first Iron Man film is ballsy. It is such a ballsy movie, whether it's the casting of Danny Jr. at the time as Iron Man and the end scene before we even get to the post credit scene, you've got Tony Stark and to the press. Because you think superheroes, you closely associate a superhero with a super identity. Tony Stark's there with the press. He's like, you know what? I am Iron Man. End credits. And you're like, what? Like, you're like, what did I just see? <laughs> like, that's like, you know, whether it's Spider-Man, Superman, it doesn't matter. These guys have got secret identities. So then like, you're watching the end credits scene, you're like, oh my God, I remember watching it with my mates all being excited. And then Nick Fury. And it's just like, you walked away from that film. And you're like, wow, what, what an experience. Just, they, yeah, they had taken what, had you know come before in in comic book movies and they i i guess they took the best elements and they took things that they knew would work uh you know in this in this film but it's like they already knew in the back of their head they were like we're gonna set the stage for for something for something bigger to come and what we do in this movie will lay that out like this will be this will be the the first floor pretty much the foundation um, you know, and I mentioned, you know, like watching this again, I mean, there's, there's a lot of changes t- to come, I guess. And, you know, like style-wise, thematically, there are a lot of different things. Things like, I guess, uh, the family-friendly, let's call it the Disney approach. Like there, there are things that, that are to come. But at the same time, there's so much familiar and is still present in the MCU now. Well, obviously, Robert Downey Jr. removed, but you mentioned it, like him him as an actor, as the character of Tony Stark, like he doesn't change. Not in, I mean, his character develops and evolves and stuff like that, but essentially like there isn't a dramatic change where it's like what was in this first Iron Man movie is then missing from later installments. Like it, it's, it's there. It, this movie really is the foundation 
and the beginning of the MCU and all credit where it's due. John Favreau with his hand in developing it, bringing this to life, directing it. Um, his performance as Happy Hogan, you know, it's all it's all good. And obviously Kevin Feige bringing his skills and talents and developing this as well. Like it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. On Downey, right, the script was not completely finished when filming began. So they were constantly, not necessarily doing rewrites, but Downey would ad-lib a lot throughout filming. So saying that, you know, he brought so much to this film, that a lot of the things that he's saying in this first movie wasn't on the page. It was just Downey just riffing. I can already it, think of a few things that I can watching, put money on. Watching the film, and, and, and it's always a case, I guess it's different with later films because things are a lot more established and distinct. But if you go, but just looking at phase one, whenever you've got Danny Jr. as Stark, it's kind of hard to see where one starts and the other begins. Because they kind of interweave. And I think the fact that he's ad-libbing so much and just contributing so much, it just it quickly just becomes a full character and yeah, a lot of the MCU was built on on the back of that. I did read that uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was Pepper Potts did struggle at times because Danny Jr. would always want to add lib, but that was the thing that he enjoyed <laughs> at the time. Right. Having to keep multiple cameras on him just to make sure they didn't miss anything where she was coming from a place of more structure and she was kind of having to try and keep up with him a little bit. But again, like I was talking about Stark or Downey Jr. Like the kind, like what was one the same at this point? That's it. And it, it's, it's one of those, you know, rare characters and um, actor performances where it's like, it is unimaginable to think of someone else for fulfilling that role and doing it. Like it, Oh, when the actor takes so much ownership of that character and it makes it, they become them. It's, um, it's hard to, to think otherwise. I mean, this is the film they've been trying to get made for a while, like going back to New Line. And I think at the time, they were looking at Tom Cruise. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, hey, I, I love Tom Cruise in movies. I really do. You know, not just the Mission Impossible films. The guy makes good films and gives it his all. But there's something special happening here with Danny yeah. Jr. as Tony Stark. We got it years earlier with Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Like, when it's right, it's right. And you can't imagine anybody else playing that part. You know, as we go through these, these films, these six films... We should probably just call out Stanley. You know, he has a cameo in all of these. It didn't start with the MCU. Like a lot of Marvel movies had the Stanley cameo. But in this one, his first official MCU cameo, he was playing a real life person. He was Hugh Hefner. Yeah, he was. How you doing, Hugh? Or something. What is he? Oh, he says something like that. It's, it's. Yeah, and he's accompanied by three blonde women. But that was it. That was his. His cameo, and were they all blonde? Were they? They were. It wasn't a mixture. They were no, all blonde. all blonde. And when yeah. Lee was asked about the experience on this film, he mentioned that it was the most fun he had doing a cameo. 
So there you go. <laughs> Playing Hugh Hefner. <laughs> should we should we read out the synopsises synopsize for each of these movies as we go through, just in case some of our listeners <laughs> haven't watched these okay, movies? Well, how about I give that responsibility to you? <sighs> More reading for me. Fair enough. All right. So Iron Man. A billionaire industrialist and genius inventor, Tony Stark, of course, played by Robert Downey Jr., is conducting weapons tests overseas, but terrorists kidnap him to force him to build a devastating weapon. Instead, he builds an armoured suit and upends his captors. Returning to America, Stark refines the suit and uses it to combat crime and terrorism as Iron Man. I mean, we all know, but cool. Good job. (laughs) I wrote it down. We got to read it out. We got to read it out. <laughs> oh, we should, in fact, you know what? Yes. No, good. Good point. Maybe with each film, we'll lead with that. We'll do, a, we'll do the synopsis. Leading, leading with it probably makes more sense. It does. It uh, does. I was going to leave. Look, three, we'll three episodes. <laughs> we're still tweaking. We're still tweaking what we're doing. <laughs> okay. We can't move on from Iron Man. First, acknowledging... It wasn't my original point, but Jeff Bridges is in this film as Ironmonger. It's always good seeing Jeff Bridges in anything, but specifically, who I was wanting to talk about, Terence Howard, is in this film. This is his only film as Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodes, or you'd know him as Rhodey. Don Cheadle was brought in to assume the role, commencing with Iron Man 2 two years later. I, yeah, I mean, I really like Don Cheadle as Rhodey. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but, you know, I think what we get on screen, Terence Howard is doing something here, and I've seen him in other things, and he's a really good actor, but something obviously happened behind the scenes, and there's conflicting stories, but this was the only MCU movie to his name. You've got to think, with what the MCU became, He's got to be kicking himself. I would, I would say so. I mean, uh, conflicting stories, most of them do involve money in some regards. And uh, I did hear, again, like that. many stories. I did hear that, again, like, can't say it enough. Like, 2008, when this movie came out, Robert Downey Jr. wasn't doing a lot. And now, megastar again. In fact, you know, not again. He's bigger now than he's ever been in his whole career. But back when this first movie came out, what I did read is that Terence Howard actually got paid more than Downey did. (laughs) That is crazy. (laughs) But again, like Terence Howard, he was on the rise at the time. He was getting a lot of work. Fast forward two years, when the sequel was getting ready to come out, or they were putting it together, Downey was now getting a lot more than what Terence Howard. And again, this is all speculation and conflicting reports, but you're right, it does seem to come... It, it, it revolves around money. Yeah. But look, with, with Terence Howard, you know, like... I think what he was doing in, in this first film was, was fine, if not great. Like, it... It, it worked, but again, what Don Cheadle does later on, uh, fulfilling the the role of the uh, like the character, it's 
it's good stuff. It's really good stuff as well. And, um, you know, he has, he has a lot of good moments. And I'm sure Terrence Howell would have had a lot of moments to shine. But, I mean, these early days, you know, there was still some troubleshooting and some tweaking of their own to, to just, be done. And Yeah. I, th- I think... You know, I mean, we'll talk about mm. The Incredible Hulk and all of that, but... <laughs> I don't. Know, I think. I think it works. And but every time I, I watch this movie, and I there's that scene where, you know, uh, Rhodey looks at that at the war machine suit, or like the other, yep. you know, like the Mark, what one of the other Mark, whatever Iron Man suits, and he's like, "Ah, oh, next time, baby." Oh, no. And I'm just like, "Doesn't no, happen." You won't. No, not I mean, you. it, it happens <laughs> for the character, just not. Yeah, it's not. You know, for it's me, a big <laughs> distinction between the two roadies, Terence Howard plays him quiet, almost at a whisper at times. Yeah. And I yeah. wouldn't really have noticed it as much if when Don Cheadle takes the role. And Don Cheadle, <laughs> you know, has gone on record as, as, you know, crediting what Terence Howard did in this film his performance but it's very different and maybe you know Terence Howard with his performance would have become bigger once he was in the armour I don't know but yeah almost a whisper so he's a more subdued roadie in this first film I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of major changes I guess from you know this film and I, I guess we need to remember like this was an essentially an independent film there was no big studio sort of backing them and putting in mandates and changes i mean obviously everyone involved had their visions but i mean things like i mean obviously roadie being changed is a, is a big thing but things like you see characters smoking um you know there's you don't see sex, but I mean, there's implied sex and there's characters waking up from having a night of sex. And I'll just keep saying that until you <laughs> tell me to stop sex. Um, ACDC, like using a, uh, an artist to be basically your, your <laughs> being your soundtrack is not something that the MCU really does apart from like Guardians of the Galaxy or, you know, whether they're using music to really like highlight a certain time period, the nineties or, or whatnot, Captain Marvel. Um, so this is something different that they were using with, with Iron Man, like ACDC was sort of like his theatrical score, which is, is weird. Saying that though, it does actually have a score and a pretty does. good it score. Does. And they use it a lot, but when he is putting all the various, suits together you know i remember you remember when like everyone always refer to like the marvel films except for like the avengers like the the marvel films is like just not having great memorable scores and like for the longest time i would always kind of agree and i still kind of stand by like they're not they're not iconic and memorable but they're still pretty good scores and and Iron Man does have a like it's a pretty decent score. The soundtrack is yeah, no, it, all right. it is, it is, it's good. And if I'm honest, like I might get crucified this, you know, living in Australia. 
I'm, I'm not a fan of ACDC. And yes, get out of here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and but, they are all over this film when Iron Man But you can appreciate like the Avengers and the the energy and like the um I guess the attitude that comes with like the with the ACDC I soundtrack it works, it. doesn't it? Still don't like right. it. But going back to the score though, the composer <laughs> we've got Raymond Dijuardi. He's also the composer on Game of Thrones. And I think he did Clash of the Titans as mm. well. So he's done a fair few things. So yes, yeah, so I like I like the score. But you are right though. Like for the longest time, and honestly, there's been like multiple essays, YouTube videos on how <laughs> the MCU doesn't have good scores. And you go back and watch these earlier movies, and you're right to cite the Avengers as an example of really good music with Alan Silvestri. But going back, it's, it's there for all of them. Like, as, you know, starting with Iron Man, all the movies have got decent scores. Do you know what the, I mean, having read those essays and watching those YouTube videos and stuff, the reason, the reason they're not memorable and iconic and they didn't, they were never given the chance to get to that status is because every time, um, a new movie came out it would be a new score you get to iron man 2 it's a different score iron man 3 it's a different score they never repeat same with the thor movies thor 1 thor 2 like it's a different score oh, both times no, it's different composer so, but they do they do repeat it honestly like so i know a lot of the with the iron man feels like it's a it's a completely different score each time well, it's, it's they nuts. go it's more plucking comedic when they get to iron man 3 I will give you that, right? But the scores, <laughs> the themes are there throughout, through through all of them, right? See, if we go back, I know we've not got to Thor yet, but the composer on that film is Patrick Doyle. One of the last scenes of Thor Ragnarok and the Asgardians have escaped from Asgard, they're on the ship. And when you've got the moment when Thor is told, take your throne, is captaining the ship. That music you hear there, it's the original theme from Patrick Doyle in the first Thor film. They bring mm. it back. Honestly, phase one music, the scores, weave in and out of later films. It does not get left. It's definitely, definitely there. And, and I, I like the Thor music. I really do quite Two. like it. To defend my point that I was making, maybe that was obviously a, a choice that they made later on to be like, hey, let's go back to those scores that we had in those earlier movies and incorporate them you know, now in these later films. Whereas I guess whilst they were making all these and suddenly the sequels start coming out, they weren't thinking about doing that yet. So they were just making new, like, no, just, just do something new. Do something new for this film. And so on and so Again, forth. And there wasn't that through line. I get it, but I, I've been doing all of them, and you do it. <laughs> Fair enough. You'd you hear know, it in, you in in all the in all the films. Okay, we can't just keep talking Iron Man. We need to need to move on and talk the the Incredible Hulk. And it's safe to say, isn't it? You've seen all these movies at the cinema. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes. I mean. <laughs> But I learned my lesson come, uh, 
Well, it's annoying. I learned my lesson come Incredible Hulk, but there is no post credit scene. The the post credit scene is annoyingly at the in the movie. Yeah, in the movie. And it's it's the one post credit scene that is this almost made incorrectly that they actually had to create a one shot to fix it. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's all good. Early days, lots of tweaking. Um, I'll just jump into the synopsis and stuff. So I should say, directed by um, Louis Leterrier. Um, Scientist Bruce Banner, played by Edward Norton, desperately seeks a cure for the gamma radiation that contaminated his cells and turned him into the Hulk. Um, cut off from his true love, Betty Ross, played by Liv Tyler, and forced to hide from his nemesis, General Thunderbolt Ross, played by William Hurt. Um, Banner soon comes face to face with a new threat, a supremely powerful enemy known as the Abomination, played by Tim Roth. And some CGI. A lot of CGI. I did read director Louis Leteria wanted Mark Ruffalo for the role of Bruce Banner. Couldn't get him. Marvel insisted <laughs> on Edward Norton, which I guess is the reason why he couldn't get him. I mean, we're later, yeah. Him. But for this film, yeah. we had Edward Norton, and I remember, like, because you know, like most people, you don't like casting to change. And no. when they announced, <laughs> they announced that he's not coming back and they're going to get somebody else. I remember being disappointed until we got somebody else and I was happy for the change. And that's not a reflection on Ed Norton as an actor. I just really liked what Mark Ruffalo brought to it. But I... I just like how you start start our little review of The Incredible Hulk, basically saying, I really like Mark Ruffalo. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, like I said, again, right? So this film came out the same year as Iron Man. So the first year, how bold. Like this new studio, they're gonna say, you know, wasn't it only wasn't it only like a month or two apart? Like it was was really close. They were so close in release. So that first movie ended with Nick Fury, Sam Jackson in his little cameo, and at the end of this movie, we get Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. So it's like, wow, okay. So you felt like a a bit of momentum already. The first film, we've got Iron Man. There's talk of the Avenger Initiative. And at the end of the second film, we've got Tony Stark. It does seem out of character for Tony Stark, but we do get him at the end of this film and it was all exciting. It's like you say, such a close period of time yeah. after that first movie. It, it, it was, it did seem like, obviously like they were making these two movies pretty much at the same time or, or near enough about it almost seemed like that very last scene was just something tacked on created sort of after the fact there's nothing in this movie really besides that that makes us that really concretes and um cements this as part of the same world obviously later on retroactively like you know like they tie things into it but just looking at it, it's like there's nothing that makes us go like oh you know like this exists or, or that's the same thing or that's happening. There's, there's none of that. This movie really does stand alone. Not a bad thing. Obviously, it's just because the movies were made at the same time and I don't know if the, the, the plan going forward was to really connect them, but obviously they, they made it happen. The opening credits include 
like some images that you know there's documents that say like stark industries and and shield and stuff like that super soldier serum and you know all those kind of things but again that's stuff that can happen after the fact but you know what the incredible hulk this movie it's always been that problem child of the mcu almost like that forgotten sometimes ignored sometimes does it exist is it a part of it is it and i guess the edward norton debacle is part of it but i don't know how do you feel about this film sort of overall well it's interesting because i'd always watched and enjoyed it and there's you know there's some fun visuals in there i mean the hulk movie we got before this with eric banner was very different you know he'd, he'd grow larger or bigger the angrier <laughs> that he got, whereas this whole doesn't do that. You know, there's some good visuals in here. I mean, it's not dated too well, if I'm honest, but I remember liking the time where, you know, he rips a car in half to use his boxing gloves and, you know, he's going up against abomination. <laughs> and there was some good action, you know, I did like back then. But I, even though I was removed from it, it's been so long since I'd seen it, I always remembered it as being, okay, but it is still a part of it. And of course, technically it is. Yes. But it wasn't, it wasn't until doing this rewatch. And if I'm honest, like, so I've got Disney Plus, I watched Iron Man, I've got the Blu-rays, but for convenience, I was streaming. And it's not on I've Disney not noticed Plus. before. <laughs> but yeah, it's not on there. Which I thought, oh, okay. But then, you know, putting the Blu-ray and I watched it and it's like, wow, it really is different to the Iron Man film. And not just the Iron Man film, everything that, follows it like it really is a film that sticks out like a sore thumb when you look at all the other films and again going back to giving Downey so much credit and John Favreau with that first Iron Man film like they set the blueprint in that one film yeah and whilst they were making that one film with a blueprint that would become what we know as the MCU I'll make it made <laughs> and it's with it with the with the without that blueprint so it's they'll very, make the movie is very different. It is totally it's darker. Un- yes, mm, it, it's it's very different. Talking of connections, though, like, there is on the DVD and Blu-ray. There's a deleted scene when you see. Oh, it's essentially a reference to Captain America. You've got somebody frozen in the ice, and it's Cap with the shield, but they decided not to have it in the movie. And am I, am I wrong in thinking it's Incredible Hulk where there's a reference to Wakanda? I'm sure it's in there. Uh, Iron Man 2 is the first um, oh, okay. on, a, on a map, on a screen. Right, I'm getting those two has it on mixed up. I'm trying to give Incredible Hulk more, more credit. <laughs> honestly, like, I mean, William Hurt as Thunderbolt Ross is perfect casting. And we saw him as recent as Black Widow. And he's come yeah. back quite a few times. I mean, I, I mentioned I'm watching Infinity War. Is in that movie. Like he is great as Thunderbolt Ross. So they've used his character, same actor from this film. Abomination had just been left. Like so much of this film, whether it's outside of Ross, the characters, the actors have just been completely left. The recent trailer for the upcoming Marvel film, Chong chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, that's Abomination. 
but now he's he's got the fins on his head, so he looks more comic accurate. And you know, I was I was looking into it. I didn't want to do too much prep for this because it's more of an overview than like a deep dive. But the director said the reason why Abomination didn't have the comic accurate fins in this movie is because his reasoning is that Hulk would just bite them off. So there you go. That's why. <laughs> that's what it's got a record of saying. That's why. So there's there's no chance of Shang Chi um, biting off his fins. So we're all good to go. Fins are <laughs> fins are go. Um, you know what? Like much like yourself, I remember like really liking this movie when it first came out, and even later on, like I acknowledge, you know, like the the distance it has from the rest of the mcu i guess in terms of tone and stuff like that but i think there's always there's still something there's still a lot to enjoy here and you mentioned you know all the the action and the view i still think the visuals are are, are pretty okay pretty pretty good i think i always compare it to that that angley eric banner hulk film and this one is just so much better oh (laughs) wow it's yes yes so so much better what Ang Lee was doing with that original, with that, with his one, very artsy, doing some creative stuff with comic book visuals. And I'm like, I appreciate all of that. And I have grown to have a better fondness of that since I originally watched it. And, mm. So, but still, just leaves, you know, I, leaves behind. I will still say the best thing about the Ang Lee Hulk movie is that teaser trailer to put out ahead of Spider Man. And it was Eric Banner, this Bruce Banner. In the bathroom, condensation on the mirror, and he goes to wipe it. You see Hulk behind, and Hulk splashes and grabs him through the mirror. They put that out as a teaser trailer. Still the best thing about that movie. And that's not in the movie, is it? I don't think so. I don't even watch, I watched it fairly recently. But anyway, they put it out as a anyway, teaser, and it's a, it's a great this thing. Hulk yeah, this <laughs> it, but before we move on completely from Ang Lee's Hulk, something that that film has in common with this movie, both of them have a cameo by Lou Ferrigno, who was the Incredible Hulk in the seventies live-action TV series. Yes, well, I mean, and Lou Ferrigno is also providing the voice of Hulk as well, There's but he does appear people. as yeah, yeah. Uh, it's sure. not. It's not just apparently. It's multiple people that are adding to the voice. But yes, one of the voices you hear you know in that again ang lee movie when he yells underwater his dad that i mean that film goes off the rails but that is luke <laughs> in that movie but in this version in the incredible hulk it's multiple voices contributing to what we oh, hear right. as, as hulk but that was cool he got a cameo in there of course we should probably you know, give a shout out to stan lee like we will with every one of these movies <laughs> <laughs> he is the man who drinks the soft drink contaminated with Banner's blood at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, early. It's an early cameo, isn't it? It's very, it's like, is it like the opening scene pretty much? 13 minutes. <laughs> that's, still, that's fairly, fairly very, early. You know, speaking of, speaking of this movie sort of, again, being like that forgotten child, um, there's a lot of thing. There's a lot of stuff in this that is sort of forgotten, you know. And it took a while for us to get Thunderbolt Ross, uh, you know, in the MCU again. 
you know, again with, with William Hurt. But I mean, his daughter, Betty Ross, played by Liv Tyler, you know, the love interest of Hulk. You know, we've obviously had the Bruce Banner character back multiple times um, in the Avengers, in Thor Ragnarok, in Avengers 2. I don't know. You know, he's back pretty much in the Avengers movies. No, they never mention Betty Ross. Never. Not no. once. And like you say, even though they're dancing it. Yeah, they... You know, thinking about it, you don't really get scenes. Have we had a... You know what? I don't think we've had a scene between Ruffalo's banner and Ross. When it was all kicking off in Civil War, on the back of Age there. of Ultron, yep. he was in space. He was on Sakaar mm-hmm. with Jeff Goldblum. Incredible, by the way. Rewatching the Ragnarok with Jeff Goldblum <laughs> as Grandmaster. I know, phase three. We're not talking about that. Yes, yeah, so Hulk's been away. So when, when Banner comes back in Infinity War, Ross is in that movie, but they don't have any scenes. He's just a hologram, isn't he? Yeah, but Banner's not there, though. Yeah, yeah. They don't actually <sighs> see or yes. interact. <sighs> Something we could see in future. Um, there's also there's also Tim Blake Nelson. He's had a bad run with Marvel movies and just <laughs> sequel sequel bait. Um, he plays Samuel Stearns, or he as he becomes in this movie, or is set up to become the leader. Yeah, a, I was going to say Hulk villain. He doesn't. I know that's the intent, <laughs> and his head starts to swell. He's not the leader. I remember watching Was the Hulk cartoon in the 90s. You know, the leader was green with a big bulbous head. He was a fun character. Yeah, they're, they're setting up something here. It's, it's like William Hurt, anybody who is associated with this film, saying that though, Blonsky, as, you know, Abomination's coming back. They just got completely left. Hmm. But will we see Tim Blake Nelson again? Will Samuel Stearns come I mean, back one day? I'd have said not, but we're getting abomination, so never say never. Anything's, yes. anything's possible? She-Hulk TV series? And Ruffalo oh, is going to be in that. Hopefully he's going to Hulk out in something more than Professor Hulk, <laughs> if I'm honest. They've got anyway, to undo that. Sure. They, they need to. Yeah. Um, but you know, this was this is an interesting outing. To it's an interesting. It's a Hulk movie, and we you know we haven't had one since <laughs> this one. It's not Mark Ruffalo, but you know Edward Norton is doing. He's a good actor. He's a good actor. But with him comes a different tone, a different type of storytelling. Um, it's something that feels out of place yet they've somehow managed to keep connected within this whole thing thank you universal for uh distributing this one um. <laughs> ed norton it brings an intensity to the character whereas yes. i don't know there's just something warmer and just a little bit off about ruffalo as banner like you know the, I like it, Ruffalo's banner. I really do. Ruffalo, Ruffalo plays a character where, where he's the awkward guy in the room that'll, that'll make a sarcastic comment, uh, commentating on something that, in a humorous way. Whereas Edward Norton, 
it doesn't do that at all. Like he's very much dealing with his very problematic issue, which is, hey, there's a rage monster inside me and I need, I need to keep that contained because I'm super duper dangerous. And yeah. so, so I get I it. Can, you know, I, I get the... Um, like it's dramatic. It's, I get it's the a dramatic reason. thing. Yeah. You know, we, the Incredible um, Hulk is, is the monster movie, whereas it is. <laughs> later on when we get Hulk, he's a... He's a smashing machine and it's awesome and it's great, but it's not, yeah, we haven't seen that monster side to him. Not really. Anyway. We credited to the composer in the last one. I'll do it on this one. It's Craig Armstrong. Yeah. Again, like they're still trying to find the feet. It's only two, two movies in and they're giving nods to the, the TV series to the point where they play the lonely man theme from the end of that show when you've got yeah. Ed Norton as, as Banner. So they're giving nods to what came before. You know, they don't really do that later on, like with cameos and things like that. But Craig Armstrong was able to incorporate that original theme into this score, which I remember at the time watching it and thinking, oh, that's cool. Like it sounds like the Incredible Hulk, you know, the one that I know. In fact, the first Iron Man film did it. The um, the animated series, I think, from the sixties, they incorporated a bit of that music into the film. Also, oh right. Speaking of like you know like the old TV show and stuff, I can I can make comparisons here. So like the opening credits of this movie, you know, like we're not getting an origin story in this movie for Bruce Banner and and, and the Hulk, but we do get sort of like a summary in the opening credits with like sort of like scenes, visuals and stuff like that, you know, like he's in the chair, he's getting sort of, he's getting zapped. He's going through all these procedures. A lot of that very stylistic and reminiscent of what we saw in, in that old, you know, Lou Frigno TV series. Yeah. We should also credit cool. um, Bill Bixby. He was Bruce Banner or David Bruce Banner oh, yeah. in that show. Yeah. He also gets a cameo in this, but he's on a TV monitor. There you go. All oh, right, missed that another, all these years. <laughs> well, you're right though. The opening sequence in is similar to a TV show and does look as though it's giving a nod to that TV show. So again, it's like it's you know they'll always bring Stan Lee back or they always brought him back for the cameos, but it's almost like it's not what it will become. And the, the, you know, giving homages to things like, hey, you watched the old Hulk show in the 90s or the 70s, I should say. We're going to like pay homage to that. So they were still finding the feet and obviously wasn't as comfortable with what they had. And they were still, you know. At least they were comfortable enough to just do a movie and not be like, hey, we've got to, we've got to restart the story again. They just jump straight into it. They retconned, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. I remember this was, now thinking back to it, I remember this being like one of the first times where, you know, the phrase reboot was really getting thrown around. Um, And it was like, we just had a Hulk movie just a few years ago. Why do we have a new one? And it's all different. And it's new actors and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, oh no, this is a reboot. That Hulk movie, not many people liked. So we're rebooting the story. 
nonetheless it was became part of this bigger wider franchise thing but at the time it was in our minds at least in mine anyway and a lot of other people I was talking to it was it was very much oh they're just redo they're doing a new hulk movie like and that was unheard of even though they had done it with batman but like whatever you know what i mean <laughs> and then in 2010 we got iron man 2 and wow that movie was setting up a lot. It was doing a lot of heavy lifting. They they bogged that movie down. They really did. And they, you know they, I used to they eased up and they allowed Thor to be Thor, Captain America to be Captain America, lead up to the Avengers. But Iron Man 2 was having to do so much heavy lifting. We get Scarlett Johansson introduced as Black Widow. We get Sam Jackson back playing more of a part this time as Fury. And yeah, you're right. Earlier when you mentioned your Wakanda, it is, it's setting up a lot. We get Captain America's shield in here. We didn't mention Phil Coulson at all in the first Iron Man film. Yes. Yeah. Like he, and he gets a bigger part here. I remember like, that's another difference, I guess, because we know the, um, we know within the MCU, like shield is very much a presence. People know about shield and they even in settings before 2008, they refer to their, you know, the organization as shield. And in that first Iron Man movie, you know, like Coulson repeatedly is, is saying like strategic homeland, intervention what you know you know the rest yeah and it's like oh we're working on the name we're not and it's like in retrospect it's like they are already shield they know their shield they refer to them it was a but whatever it was that was a gag it was a gag yeah. but it, it was works we should say but um clark greg is, is clark greg. yes sorry <laughs> sidetracked a bit there but um <laughs> good to have him back because he was such a good uh you know addition to to iron man and you know uh you know, but you know, you... <laughs> I was just gonna, I was just gonna say the big, the big difference. Now we're looking at practical effects and CGI. Didn't say the first Iron Man film. Stan Winston worked on that. The legend that is Stan Winston, and it was the last film that he worked on before he passed away. And he'd been working for so many years, so many you know, big franchises. But when you've got Iron Man. And it's really Iron Man 2 that a lot of the time, what's really noticeable to me, when it's Danny Jr. in Iron Man and he's, he's hanging out, he's got the helmet off, it looks plastic. <laughs> the armor looks plastic. When he's in action, they're doing the CGI, it looks more metal. It but looks metallic, where yeah. Where he's in the donut hole and Fury's like shouting up to him, it looks like he's wearing a plastic suit. And I only or like think when he's that, like... When he's working the DJ. Yeah. But I, I got to say, like, it's... I would still rather see what we're seeing in, in these first two Iron Man movies, you know, with the suit, than what we get later on, where it's the nanotech, all of that. Like, these two Iron Man movies, and even the third one, probably that one in there as well, like, it's still oh, very the much... one where he's Iron Man for, like, a couple of minutes? 
Oh, yeah, like, that, that frustrates hey, listen, me. That I, I like that film, but that's we'll save that for episode we'll 350 of the podcast when we do phase two. The point, the point of what I'm trying to say is the, these first two Iron Man movies, it, it's a techno thriller. It's based on it, it's this tech, technology, science, a machine. Like he's built a machine and he's wearing it. Therefore, it should just be a machine. It's a mechanical thing. When it becomes like nano magic, it's it, it's something takes it away from it. But um, science. I just like the <laughs> I, li- <laughs> I like I like the science. I like the simplicity of this very advanced um, tech. But anyway, I, John Favreau is I, back. Hey, as, I'm moving on. Just let's let's not move <laughs> on from that. I, I get what you're saying, right? Pull up the suitcase armor. How cool is that? And I'd seen it in the comics. No, that's prior. fine. It is fine. No, that's fine. But I like the fact that with each film, with each appearance, we're getting something extra. And again, I'm currently watching Infinity War. He's got the nano armor in that, and I'm okay with it. It just becomes... I don't know. I think it just becomes... I think we talked about that, obviously, when we did Infinity War and Endgame and stuff like that. It was... I don't know. It's just... We would have done, yeah. It's a good point. Let's uh, let's go back to phase one. Let's not... Repeat ourselves. But anyway, so as I said, directed by John Favreau once again, he's back. Um, with the world now aware that he is Iron Man, billionaire inventor Tony Stark, once again played by Robert Downey Jr., faces pressure from all sides to share his technology with the military. He is reluctant to divulge the secrets of his armored suit, fearing the information will fall into the wrong hands. With Pepper Potts, once again played by Gwyneth Paltrow, and he and Rhodey Rhodes, this time played by Don Cheadle, by his side, Tony must forge new alliances and confront a powerful new enemy. You know, you said, you know, as you started talking about this one, like straight up, you were like, this movie gets bogged down by a lot of setup. And for the longest time, I would agree and say, yeah, absolutely. Like this is all I've always remembered. This as being almost like that very much an Avengers set up. They're really setting up all the stuff, setting the stage for, for the Avengers film. But on this most recent rewatch, obviously, yes, they, they introduce, you know, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. They, Clark Gregg is floating around quite a bit. And there is that scene with Nick Fury, but really it is the donut, that scene at the diner with Nick Fury and, and, and Black Widow, that's really it. The rest of it, there is a lot more of just Tony Stark stuff. and There is a lot of Tony Stark stuff, but it's, you mentioned Fury, Coulson, Black Widow, and S.H.I.E.L.D. Right, now, Marvel. But they they do play, they do play a part. the ones that push that. I mean, I appreciate what you're saying, that this recent reviewing, maybe it's not as setup heavy as you remembered it. But it, a lot of that is going on, more so than the, that happens in the other characters' movies. And I get it. Like they want to, they, they got a bit of momentum with that first Iron Man movie. They clearly wanted it to go in this direction with the Nick Fury cameo. It was, it was Marvel pushing a lot of other, like pushing the influence more so of S.H.I.E.L.D. that pushed Favreau away and had him not come back for sequels. 
Oh, right. I do get it. Like recent, you know, viewing, it's not as much as I remembered, but they, again, they had success with that first movie, a misstep with Incredible Hulk, and they're like, right, okay, we, we wanted to start something with Iron Man. Let's really get the audience with the mm-hmm. second one. Let's build this world. I just feel like the all the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff seemed very natural and in place with both where we last left the character and just just progressing forward. Like Natasha Romanoff works as a character incorporated in this story that, that that's unfolding with, you know, with Whiplash and Justin Hammer and like she's she's there playing a role and working with Pepper Potts after Tony's going through his issues and stuff like that. It's not like she's there for no reason. Like she's introduced and, and she serves a purpose. The scene, I admit, the scene talking to Nick Fury about, you know, how they, they don't want him for like the Avengers anymore and stuff like that. That's that's one hundred percent setting up something bigger. Yeah. But um yeah, really I was like, it's not as much as I remember it. It it really felt like its own movie and i don't know it kind of this recent viewing just pushed this movie up and a couple notches um you still you still get to the third act though and it's iron man roadie green screen droids (laughs) it's not the it's not a thrilling conclusion but the film it it, i mean it is it is a good film you know you mentioned real flash a couple of times mickey rourke is in this film and i guess maybe like the idea was you know the casting of danny jr with that first film let's do it again let's go (laughs) to another actor from the 80s that went off the rails and let's see if we can get something going and yeah rourke brought a lot of quirks to his character he decided that his character should have a bird a bird that rourke himself (laughs) paid for he paid for his own <laughs> gold teeth. He had his own tattoos done and had their own little meanings. At one point, apparently, not related to Marvel, but his character was going to have a low-key tattoo until someone stepped in and went, that's going to be far too confusing. That's going to look as though <laughs> you're on the payroll of Loki down the line. But yes, the Russian actor... let the theories roll. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I had fun, fun with him. He was bringing a I lot. Like I I like him. I, I, I can't remember what came first, but it was around about the time of the wrestler. And it's like, wow, you know, Mickey Rourke's having a bit of a bit of a moment. He was in, you know, the Expendables, and it's gone again. <laughs> he's not really doing much <laughs> to my knowledge nowadays. I really, I do like. He's, him, but... I, yeah, he, he plays his role, and it's sort of you know, we're in that in that first Iron Man movie we got. It was you know, it was. Tony Stark versus terrorists, and then you know this person from within his company, you know, a close friend, pretty much turning on him and having his own agenda. Whereas this one again, it's it's someone again connected to his father, you know, like Howard Stark, John Slattery. By the way, we should point that out. Um, but there's sort of like there's a history there, and there's a personal agenda to it. So that's all cool. And but then you know he's using again like. Once again, it's a manipulation of Stark tech and, you know, this arc reactor, but used in his own way with these whips and all that. It's a, he's a fun character. I do, however, think that 
Justin Hammer is is the true villain in this movie, even though oh, of course he is. Is the is the is the cheap Tony Stark? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hammer Tech. Yeah, yeah. God, you know, I did read that he he was one of the people that they were looking at when casting Tony Stark. They were actually looking at Sam Rockwell, and then they brought really? him back for this sequel. And he plays so it. Weird. He plays it so well. He's got the fake tan. Yeah, oh, he, yeah, he's um, he's great. I just love the, the the parent. Like, I mean, the cheap Tony Stark is is the best way to explain it. Like, just his when he's doing his like presentations and stuff, he's trying to like mimic the, the Tony he's trying, Starkisms. Yeah. He's trying to be he's trying, Stark. It's just, but even he, like the interactions so that it's great. Yeah, like, it's, it's <laughs> but even like the interactions between him and Whiplash or Ivan, and then he'll come back and check on the progress that he's making with the armor. And he's like, he's like, you know, that's not a helmet. You know, I can't fit a guy in there. And just the fact that things just aren't, they're just not going his way. Yeah, I yeah. think he plays well, the character. Drone better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, drone better. Uh, Sam Rockwell is so good in this. And I think, I, I just always forget. And every time I watch Iron Man, I think I like it a little bit more each time I watch it. And it's things like Sam Rockwell just yeah. doing his thing. There's, like, there's a lot. He's fantastic. There's a lot going for this movie. Yeah, I think it's one that I think more people would appreciate more now if they went back and, and watched it. I think it's a better film than most people remember it to be. Yeah. Stan Lee's in it. Of course he is. <laughs> oh, is he? He's got is a he? cameo. Actually, you know, he's in the 10-minute mark. So he's in it even Another, earlier. Even earlier. Incredible Hulk. He is, oh, is a he? man wearing suspenders who Stark identifies as Larry King. I mean, he, he's playing Larry King, right? It's not... Well, like, this is the thing that I always... Is it mistaken identity? <laughs> is that he was playing Larry King until I was doing prep for this and maybe that's just Stark being Stark and you've seen someone and you're saying it to be funny. But I'd always taken it <laughs> that just like before when you know, in Iron Man, when he played Hugh Hefner, I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to stick with that. Yes. In this film, I'd say Stan Lee is playing Larry King. Hugh I'm Hefner sure. in the first one, Larry King in this movie. Why not? I want to ask you... Um... The Tony Stark Pepper Potts relationship. Now, the MCU is not, they're not big on long lasting relationships, you know, lovers, yeah, yeah, romance. Every time they try, they kind of just leave it be. At the moment, we've got a good thing going with Peter Parker and, you know, MJ. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but Tony Stark Pepper Potts, I mean, they're the, they're the, wow. I was going to say they're the long-lasting one, but, you know, events unfold. But, you know, they, they married, they had, a, they had a daughter. Morgan. It all started really in this, in this movie, yeah. It really started, I mean, obviously, in that first one, but this is the one where they got together. Do you have any thoughts? It works. I like it. I, I like the fact that it's good to have, even though it's dysfunctional at times, it's good to have, a solid adult relationship and yeah no i i've always liked it i mean it's not really been an ongoing thing in the comics but at times you know they have been in a relationship but this pairing on screen between 
Downey and Paltrow. I think they go really well together. Yeah, no, I like it. Yeah, and, and Paltrow, she plays like both like the good, like uh, like the businesswoman CEO type figure, as well as you know the um, probably the reluctant partner of, of Tony Stark, which is good. It's one of the it's it's one of the only relationships in the MCU that I really buy, and I'm like. Yeah, we we should be rooting for them. Again, up until Endgame and things go a bit different. But that's fine. That's all good. Um, do we need to talk about Don Cheadle sort of taking on the role? I mean, funny scene when we first see him rocking up and he's like, I'm here, it's me, deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was which is a good way of reintroducing the character. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he's... He's good, isn't he? Like, you know, we get to see this roadie in the Iron Man armor, but again, we get to that third act and it's all very. Pew, pew, pew. How? Hell yeah. That's, how quick is that third act? It's. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's drawn out. I mean, there's, there's things going on, on at the expo and, you know, stuff with Hammer and. In fact, and all that, and the droids. Joe's but but just Iron Man, War Machine, and Whiplash, that yeah. fight is, is literally. Two and minutes. The drones. And what's what's ruined it for me is at some point I've seen a behind the scenes or making of, and I can't unsee it. So whenever I, I, know I do watch Iron Man two now, <laughs> and it's the that third act fight, it's just not very impressive, if I'm honest. But again, it's still a good movie and and worth watching. But it's just a bit flat at the end but you've still got Danny Jr. as Iron Man so it's good okay so now on to Thor do you want to give us the synopsis alright that's the first time you ever asked me to do it which is good um, <laughs> all right. a better way of doing it <laughs> probably probably as the son of Odin who is played by Anthony Hopkins um, king of the Norse gods Thor played by Chris Hemsworth, will soon inherit the throne of Asgard from his aging father. However, on the day that he is to be crowned, Thor reacts with brutality when the gods' enemies, the Frost Giants, enter the palace in violation of their treaty. As punishment, Odin banishes Thor to Earth. While Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston, Thor's brother, plots mischief in Asgard, Thor, now stripped of his powers, faces his greatest threat. Natalie Portman. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what we should mention, and we probably should have mentioned it before now, what we know as the MCU, when it first started, it owes so much to the Ultimates comics, which was written by Mark Miller, you know, from Kick-Ass, Kingsman, and everything else, and artist Brian Hitch. It's essentially... I think it was like early 2000s. What they were tasked with doing was modernizing origins for the Marvel comics. And they did it with Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four. And instead of being the Avengers, they were known as the Ultimates. And that's when we first got a African-American Nick Fury, whose likeness with permission was based on Samuel L. Jackson. So a lot of the should things- have cast him. Him. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things that we got in these early MCU movies does owe quite a bit to 
the ultimates line. What we get from the portrayal of Thor in this film, you've got Thor being cast down to Earth as punishment for his arrogance, which was classic Marvel Comics. But just like with the ultimate line, Thor is dismissed by many on Earth as being crazy or deluded. And I mean, I guess that, that it makes sense. That's sort of what would happen if someone, you know, rocks up and... It is, the same but at thing. the time, <laughs> so again, we're talking like, wow, 20 years ago now. That's how they modernised Thor. And that version is what we're getting in the Chris Hemsworth movie. So yeah, so going back to the first appearance of Sam Jackson as Fury, yeah, Mark Miller, Brian Hitch, those guys were doing it in comics years before the movies. It's good to it's good to give credit to to that as an aspect of it. Because um you know, like Thor and I guess like um opening up pun aside opening up this realm of just like new more fantastical elements you know we're talking godlike beings sort of magic that is really science kind of like they're just aliens but they're gods and Mm. they've existed of the magic thing the magic thing because later on, it is magic. They fully embrace it. There's Doctor Strange, there's whoever else, but this is early Marvel. Like the yeah. four films in at this point, it's not magic, it's advanced science you've just not experienced yet. No, yeah. it's magic. And it will become magic. I think it, Loki even refers to what he does as magic, right? Like later on. Yeah, but he lies. It's the That's, god of mischief. Okay. Well, that's his whole thing. But I essentially, do, I do get it. I do get it that they couldn't go from essentially a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movie with Hulk from two... <laughs> no thriller. <laughs> yes, two science-based movies with Iron Man. They couldn't just go into magic. So their, their in was to say it's advanced science. And that's how we were first introduced to Asgard. But again, essentially, it's like they're just out there in, in space somewhere. But they're referred to as having been in a different realm, all that kind of stuff. But they're aliens. Like, they're aliens. It was an alien. He's yeah, got godlike like powers, but he's an alien. You're That's right, he but he's not, he's not referred to as seen as an alien, but you're absolutely no, right. No, it's because these characters exist in these legends. And that's what's unique about... Thor and Loki and and Odin and all the characters that come with Asgard and stuff like that. It's like, you know, they're not, they're not Marvel created characters. They're essentially Marvel adapted characters. You know, obviously they've got their own Marvel like storylines and stuff like that. But, and like you said, like modernizing and incorporating these characters into, I guess this existing world that we've already set up with these three movies would have been, a bit of a challenge, but do you know what? I think they they pulled it off. I mean, obviously they they obviously pulled it off. Oh, they, they definitely pulled it. pulled it off. But if we're sticking with the ultimate train of thought, the version of Hawkeye we're introduced to here, first time we see Jeremy Renner as the character, 
He's pretty much just wearing a shield uniform. Obviously, he's got the bow and arrow, but he does not resemble Hawkeye from the comics. And for a lot of people, doesn't resemble Hawkeye at all. For me personally, he comes into his own with Age of Ultron. But in this first <laughs> phase, I think he's the character that's struggling to get right to begin with. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, he's, his appearance in this movie, essentially you could write it off. He, he has one scene. That's it. It doesn't really count. It's a, it's a cameo. It's a cameo. But you know what? When we get him... It's an Iron Man 2 moment. <laughs> it's, it's, you're allowed to... No, you're allowed to have... You're allowed to have... I get it. It's laying the groundwork for what's going to come later. But it is that thing. It works. You were talking Shield about... Are looking at, Shield are investigating Mjolnir, the hammer, you know, in New Mexico. It tracks. He it does. I'm He's just in. saying... This scene in Thor is like the donut shop in Iron Man 2. Not as bad. Not as bad. <laughs> Not as bad. Um, but you're right. Like, I mean, we'll get to Hawk, obviously, talk Avengers and stuff like that. But I mean, for the majority of that movie, he's under mind control. So they don't really let the character flesh, you know, get fleshed out. We'll but anyway, get to we, we'll get to him. Um, We've got a whole bunch of things going on. You know, Thor's a fish out of water on Earth. We've got Natalie Portman as the Jane Foster character. Stellan Skarsgård as Eric Selvig. We've got um, Kat Dennings as the comic relief character, oh, Darcy Lewis. She is so good. Meow, meow? <laughs> <laughs> meow, meow. <laughs> oh, she's so good. Yeah. And then we've got we've got all of like the Asgardian characters from Tom Hiddleston's Loki, uh, uh, bloody Anthony Hopkins as Odin, Rene Russo as Frigga. We've got Sif, Frandrol, Hogan, Volstagg, Heimdall, bloody Idris Elba as Heimdall. Yeah, I know. There's, there's a lot of characters in this, in this one. There's a lot going on. Yet we're only dealing with two locations. <laughs> yes, in that regard, it, it's yeah, it is yeah. We're in New Mexico, we're on Asgard, but they do. And Clark Gregg's back. <laughs> yes, they they do a lot with it. You didn't mention Jasper Sitwell, the character first oh, appears yes. in in that in this film. Um, we later see him multiple times in different movies. I think he was even in the Agents of Shield TV series as well. But yeah, there is there is a lot of people. A lot of people in this film. You know, I was reading something from Hopkins and he was talking about the first time that he was with Hemsworth, you know, one as Odin, one as Thor, and seeing each other in the costumes, you know, Hopkins, he remarked something like, we're not going to have to do much acting, are we? Because (laughs) it, you know, the costumes got them so far into the role already. They really did look the part. And getting someone like Anthony Hopkins as Odin, like, wow, incredible. I mean, directed by Kenneth Branagh, it's essentially like Shakespeare in space with Asgardian <laughs> aliens. And, oh, wow. Yeah, you caught them aliens. You caught them aliens. The, and I mean, they, they had to create Asgard. Like, had to put Asgard on screen. and It's a whole 
They we will. Did. I, I really try not and to say we, that. <laughs> we see a little bit of Asgard <laughs> because how much I guess they really needed to in show. In my mind, from what we do see of Asgard in the entirety of the MCU, in my head, it's still just the palace and yeah, now that's it. This it's, <laughs> it's quite limited what we see. You know, in later films, we'll see more. We'll see Asgardians that aren't the heroes that are just townsfolk. So that opens up yeah, Asgard yeah, a little bit more. But you know, this first film, it's fish out of water. It's Thor on Earth. They made a sequel. It's a fish out of water film where it's Jane in Asgard. <laughs> you know, they really, you know, mixed it up. Well, they really hey, that movie's with really, Ragnarok. That movie's really important when you get to Endgame. Oh, they told us that in Endgame, and listen, I watched it again recently. They lied. (laughs) I was going to say, I was like, I suspect when I get to Thor Ragnarok, no, uh, when I get to The Dark World, that I'm going to be like, man, this movie's a lot better than I remember. So it's not. I don't know. I mean, for me at least, I don't think (laughs) you're going to get your Iron Man 2 experience with with Thor The Dark World. I've got to say, like, as in like the grand scheme, bigger picture, uh, looking back at all the films and looking at how all the films evolved and what they became. I feel like this, like the, the Thor film is where I think they got all their production and uh, like everything that they is like a part of the ingredients and flavor of the MCU going for. I think they had refined it with this one starting and every other movie going forward looks the same, feels the same. Obviously they're doing different bonkers things. And then, you know, I'm not saying they're all exactly the same, but as, as a part of an entire cinematic universe, this is where it begins of like, do you reckon or, or do you disagree in some regards? Yeah, no, I do. Yeah. No, I, yeah, no, I do. I do get that. Like things, yeah. things look kind of stylized. They've got a certain feel and look to them. It doesn't look a hundred percent realistic and and you know like like perfect, but it kind of works for like this is the universe and this is what the MCU looks like and feels like tonally and and all that. My, how do you feel about this movie overall? I like it. I still like it. I liked it when it came out. I've liked it since, and I enjoyed I enjoyed this rewatch. I mean, there's just something about it. Like, I mean, it's essentially Splash, like Dale Hannah movie with Tom <laughs> Hanks. <laughs> it's it just something about it works. Like, I mean, we we know it really is Thor, but we need to wait for the characters who are spending time with him to catch up. We know we're going to get to the heroic moment, and we do. We get that great confrontation and visual in The Destroyer. Hiddleston is Loki. I mean, this movie has so much going for it. But, yeah, but it is, whether it's the locations, you know, the limited time we see or spend on Asgard, it does feel quite quite a small story. But I do. I, I think this film, this film still, still holds up, and that's why I had high hopes for the rewatch of The Dark World. <laughs> which I guess we'll cover when we do phase two. Yeah. No, like, I, I pretty much agree with everything you, you just said there. Like, it were, I, I find that I enjoy the, besides the moments with Loki, 
I find that I enjoy like the New Mexico stuff on Earth more than than I do like the the Asgard stuff. And then when they're you know they're they're going off and they're being like, let's fight the frost giants, yay, let's yeah. start war. Um, oh, me too. Yeah, I I enjoy all the Earth stuff. Like you've got Thor in the in the in the diner. He finishes his drink, smashes it on the Get floor. Me another. another. He wants a horse, yeah. so he goes to the pet yes. shop. <laughs> you know, Give me a horse. There's a, there's a lot of a lot of good gags, and you know they've got someone in Hemsworth, and we've seen in later films, he's really good at comedy. Like you know, he can do the action stuff, and he looks like an action star, but he can really do comedy, and he's doing a lot of it in this first movie. And and they do embrace it a lot more later, but there's enough here that it's like there's enough consistency for it to. To come through later, but like you know, he he goes out. He, he's drinking with with Sel, with Selvig, and they get back to Jane's little trailer. We drank, we fought. He made his ancestors proud. Like <laughs> just like that's it's epic, yeah. Also comedic, but even um, and it's, like and it's a meets, nice moment as well when he meets Coulson, and he's like, "I'm you know Agent Coulson, ah, son of Cole." I love all that stuff. <laughs> you know, it's and you know, Hemsworth, he just he pulls it off. So like, even though he'll do things like that, you never find that you're laughing at him. Like you, you're laughing at the humorous moments, but you're not laughing it as if as if he's an idiot. Like you just there's something yeah. endearing about the performance. It, it doesn't come from the character being dumb or an idiot. It's it's more like he's He's out of this world. He's not from here, so that makes him a little bit spacey. Fish out but, um, of water. Yeah. This movie. Fish out of water. That's, that's <laughs> um, it's 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 good stuff. And again, they you know they try and and maybe they'll revisit this relationship, but they obviously the Jane Foster and Thor um, relationship say is, is established here, and they will. But they they sidelined it. But of course, we're getting Love and Thunder, and she'll Jane will be back. Not only back, she's going to be the new Thor. So I have to wait and see what um, what happens there. You know, we, we can't move on from Thor without talking about the Stan Lee cameo. This time, <laughs> you had to wait 36 minutes. Oh, I love how you got timestamps. Until you oh, got to God. see him. Oh, I've got timestamps for all, for all his cameos. Oh, good, good. He appears as a truck driver who attempts to tow Mjolnir out of the crater, which it landed. <laughs> so there you go. And apparently, <laughs> late, later on, when Thor's in the diner, you see his truck go by. That's maybe a second oh. cameo. It goes by in the background. You know it's his truck, <laughs> it's truck. because the back is ripped off. Of course. The post credit scene we get in this movie was actually directed by Joss Whedon. That was to connect to the Avengers. The scene features Sam Jackson and Stellan Skarsgård, who features on the film Deep Blue Sea. They were on that film together. But it's a reference at the end of this movie. <laughs> Whoa. So I'll throw that in there. You know, mind blown. It was Stellan Skarsgård in Deep Blue Sea just pissing in the wind. How intelligent can you be? <laughs> it's a good film. Anyway, just wanted to quickly throw in that connection. Didn't mean to derail myself. Love it, love it. Anyway, as but it's revealed it. that Loki is influencing Skarsgård at the at the end there. Yeah. And what happens? Because next? of course, 
we we should mention the first of multiple Loki death scenes. Oh yes, yes. Um, so, but he's, but he's, he's not dead. dead. He's, he's not dead. dead straight away. Not dead. He's not dead. What I was going to say there? What's about to happen is something that the MCU have been doing since. So we've had four films up until now, and instead of going straight to the main event, the Avengers. We, we take a sidestep, or this time we go back in time, and we've got Captain America, the first Avenger. And this is something that the later films have always done. Like, you know, I mentioned a couple of times now, I'm in the process of re-watching Infinity War. The next film that follows Infinity War is Ant-Man and the Wasp. So you don't necessarily always continue that forward momentum. They'll, they'll take a moment, and they'll allow a smaller story or a story that, in this case, took place in the past. And we've got Captain America, the first Avenger. So up until this point, we've only been moving forward. But now we're going to go back and have an origin story. And it, and it works. It works so well. I appreciate that they do that. And it works well for them. The synopsis. Do you want to give the synopsis? No, thank you. Yes, I was waiting. I was waiting for my cue. Um, it is 1941, and the world is in the throes of war. Steve Rogers, played by Chris Evans, wants to do his part and join America's armed forces, but the military rejects him because of his small stature. Finally, Steve gets his chance when he is accepted into an experimental program that turns him into a super soldier called Captain America. Joining forces with Bucky Barnes, played by Sebastian Stan, and Peggy Carter, played by Hayley Atwell, Captain America leads the fight against the Nazi-backed Hydra organization. Directed by Joe Johnston. You you (laughs) mentioned Steve Rogers wanting to do his part. For the longest time, Chris Evans said no to this movie. And when he was finally cast... I think he was like the only main cast member that didn't have to audition. Like they really wow. went after him. I mean, I mean, I uh, it was probably because his previous experience in a Marvel movie. Maybe he got not just that. that, not just Marvel movie. I mean, I'm gonna quickly just run through his comic book credentials, right? Fantastic Four in 2005, the sequel in 07. The movie Push in 09, The Losers in 2010, Scott Pilgrim versus the World also 2010, and in 2007 he voiced Casey Jones in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles CGI animated movie. I get it. You may have felt <laughs> as though I've done that. Fortunately for everybody. He, Everybody. He said yes. Including himself. He said yes. He said because, yes. honestly, like I've read Captain America in the comics. I've seen him in animation before. It's been a character I've liked. Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, MCU. My favourite character of the whole like, MCU. Like, yes. I mean, of course, like... Marvel Comics, you know me, Spider-Man all the way, for sure. 100%. No question. But in terms of the MCU characters, I'm there with you. Steve Rogers, Captain America. 
um you know a lot of people they they go iron man is and tony stark obviously the granddaddy of uh of the mcu pretty much he's he's up there of course but Steve Rogers, I think just his, his character and the things that he represents and, and his values and what he stands for can very easily have come across as just such a boy scout. Um, and, and, you know, like, oh, at the same time, very overly patriotic in an American kind of way that could be off putting somehow they don't, it doesn't delve into that. It, it, it's, that just doesn't happen. And then I think overall, in terms of individual stories and story arcs and each movie, I think Captain America has the best yes. like ongoing story from this film, like his origins, you know, this period piece film, him becoming the super soldier and, and Captain America and then taking on Hydra and then what happens to him, you know, waking up 70 years in the future. And then, you know, what we get, the winter soldier, you know, we, I can't wait to talk about that one at some point, but potentially one of the best MCU films, that political thriller, he gets his epic civil war film with all of that. But then everything that happens to him in the Avengers movies as well, he has a, he has a great journey. He really does. Epic he really does. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it all I'm, starts here. It all starts here. I mean, I know I've mentioned Infinity War a couple of times, and I know it's not famous. We get one, it. It's what you're currently I'm watching. Currently <laughs> watching. But even the way that they introduce him in that movie, he's got the beard for the first time, and the train's passing, and he's in Edinburgh. Oh, it's just mm. so good. But anyway, back to phase <laughs> phase one. They're able to do something with this character, and I guess. It's how I'd like it if how they would portray Superman. You know, because he's not the same character, but a similar character and can seem dated. And, you know, the modernized Superman with Man of Steel, you know, the recent Superman and Lois TV show, they've kind of gone back to, not in a bad way, but a, a, a cheesier approach to Superman, which really works for that character, I think. But with Captain America, they, they get away with it here. Even, you know, fitting around these other characters we've talked about. Because it's been on ice for 70 years. When the character was first created, so we're looking at World War II, the Avengers first appeared in the 60s. It was Avengers issue four, where they discovered Captain America in the ice, and he joined the team. So it was never an original founding member until now. So they've had to, you know, move the timeline. So now it's been a nice for 70 years. But he's still got those same sensibilities from back then. And he, he just, it works so well. I just, on the big screen, I'd like DC to have that confidence or Warner Brothers in telling a Superman story. But what we're getting here with Captain America, it's, it's excellent. And then you're on the journey. Like you've got the CGI skinny Steve Rogers, which even now it works. Like it looks, it looks good, but it's, you're going on that journey of him before he becomes Captain America. And you're actually, you're spending time with him. So you're seeing all the qualities that you've always known have been in Captain America. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. Like the bit where, you know, there's a grenade, he jumps on top of it. Like he's oh, just his so, yeah. instinct is to protect, and all the tough guys 
that were going through training with him all ducked for cover. The bit with the flag showing intelligence, like, you know, for however many years people weren't able to reach it. And he lowered the, he lowered the pole and he got the flag. It's, it's all there. You know, in this, in this first movie, you've got the line, I could do this all day. When he's holding <laughs> up the yep. bin lid, you know, the precursor to the shield. We later got it again in Captain America Civil War, Avengers Endgame. I just love the fact that in these early movies, they're laying so much groundwork that come to pay off things later on. But everything we love about Evans as Captain America starts with this movie. Yeah, and then we just get we just get to strap in and um, enjoy the ride basically with him and see his character evolve and progress. Um, you know, like you're mentioning, you know, like just then being able to just portray like like his qualities and his values and what makes him stand out above the rest. And you know, eventually, you know, we get him being worthy enough to pick up Thor's hammer and you know, like embrace that power, which is crazy, like the power of the gods, um, essentially. But you know, you go all the way back to this movie. There's that scene with him and Stanley Tucci, um, who plays Abraham Erskine, you know, the, the one behind the, the super soldier serum, you know, and, and it's like, why has he picked him? And he, and he's, you know, Erskine's telling Rogers, you know, like you're not the perfect soldier, but the, um, you know, you're a good man. And that's good. Yes. Yep. He's a good and man. That's, and that's the, the whole thing about, Steve Rogers, like who he is, you know, like it's, well, it's I don't know, it's wonderful. It, it gets, well, I mean, I think you may have watched it more recently than me, but it gets asked the question, like, you know, <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, it gets asked the question, do you want to kill the enemy? It's, yeah, like, do you want to kill something Nazis? like that? And he's I don't like, want to kill anyone. I don't like bullies. Hmm. Amazing. In a couple of dialogue exchanges, they've completely summed up who Captain America is. And he's always going to stand yeah. up for He'll what do he the thinks right is thing. right. Yeah. But he's, he's, not, he's not looking for a fight. But I mean, he'll in stand later up films, and fight if need to. In later films, there's more grey area, and that causes issues for him. But it comes from a time where it's more black and white. There's right and wrong. And I like that. There's something you can get behind that. He's old fashioned. And in, and in the Avengers film, you know, like they refer to old fashioned as being something, something that they might need, you know, like something from, from the old days, because there's, there's a quality to it that, that is, Oh man, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. But look, there's a, there's a whole slew of um, characters that, you know, Chris Evans is interacting with, from um, Hayley Atwell as as Peggy Carter, who is is just a boss. She's oh, a, she is excellent, and she got her own TV spinoff, two seasons. Yeah, not Marvel Studios produced, but do you know what? This is probably the closest show to being legitimately in continuity without oh, being well, Marvel. Yeah, Studios. yeah. I mean, they kind of, you know, they started off with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hashtag, it's all connected. The, yeah, the but pilot, that was the rails. The pilot was directed by Joss Whedon, just like the Avengers. And yes, it did absolutely go off the rails. <laughs> so on the back of Agent Carter, also on the back of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we've got Agent Carter. And then fast forward, 
to one division. The first proper connected MCU TV show. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag legitimately connected. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, she she is great. Um, just a, like a strong female character. She's she's clever. She's quippy, just like all the great MCU characters are. Um, and yeah, no, she's a she's a great pairing for Steve Rogers, and it's almost heartbreaking at the end, you know. Like the, I had a I had a date, like they were set to go out dancing, and that's eh, pretty heartbreaking. There's a lot of emotion in this movie, but there's also red faced Nazis, like Red Skull, Hugo Weaving. His only appearance as Red Skull. We would like to see Red Skull again, but not Hugo Weaving. He did not come back and, that's okay. and play that's it. But okay. you know what? <laughs> Hugo Weaving's always good and is good in this. He's a yeah. He plays the role very well. I reckon like it just would have been so easy again for this movie to just come across as just cheesy, cheap, corny, ridiculous looking. Like I, I have nightmares about that, you know, that nineteen was it nineteen ninety that that Captain America yeah. little TV movie With, thing, whatever um, it was. Matt Salinger. And when he's got the Captain America wow. costume on, he's got, he's got rubber ears. It's weird. Yeah, and Red's, <laughs> Red Skull just looks... Like oh, do you rubber. mean the Italian Red Skull? It's, it's, <laughs> it's bonkers. <laughs> oh, weird. It they did it right here. They, they did it right here. They did it right here. Um, Sebastian Stan, we get our first... James Buchanan, Bucky Barnes. And like, yeah, if, if you didn't know this character, you have no idea that he'd be back. <laughs> and that's the thing like I did know going in. So essentially, I mean, Captain America and Bucky in the comics and, you know, decades ago, way before this movie came out, they were essentially Batman and Robin. It was, yeah, Bucky was a superhero young lad. and a teen sidekick. So then when I was watching this move for the first time when he was referred to as Bucky, I'm like, hang on, he's a grown-up. But they, <laughs> they do a very good job at spinning the origin and you know, their best friends. Bucky always looked after Steve. And you don't get the domino mask, but when you've got the scene on the train especially, Bucky's pretty much dressed like he did in the comics for the most part. And then since we've got him as Winter Soldier and everything else. But yeah, Sebastian Stan, I like him as Bucky. You know, we recently got him in the TV show Falcon and Winter Soldier. So there's a lot of Bucky. Yeah, he's good. There's a lot of Bucky. We also get the Howling Commandos. We've got Neil Donahue as Dum Dum Dugan. Yes. Kenneth Chow as Jim Morita. In fact, Chow comes back in Spider-Man: yes. Homecoming as a descendant. Is he the? He's, he's he like the principal. Yeah, he's yeah, the principal. High school, but he's is a descendant of a Howling Commando, and he's got the photo of his relative in his office at school. Yeah. So that was an interesting nod that they made. <laughs> yeah, Howling Commandos. You know, they were always fun in the comics and the fun on screen. I mean, Dum Dum Dugan, especially. I mean, they didn't get to do too much more with him, at least in the movies. I think he might have come back, whether it was Agent Carter or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think he, he came back again. 
he came back in, I think it was the last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with all their time travel hijinks and stuff. Oh, really? I need to finish that yeah. season. I still haven't. got about 10 episodes. You need to finish it just purely for completion reasons. I need closure. I need closure. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. You mentioned the director before, Joe Johnston. So he was chosen as the film's director because of his previous work on the period films The Rocketeer in 91 and October Sky in 99. Rocketeer no. is a very that's, good yeah. film. This movie does have... Um, there's, there's almost like a style to it although still very in line with what the rest of the MCU does going forward, there's almost like a style that kind of leans into that, that like forties, fifties sort of serial. Um, what am I trying to say? Just an aesthetic to it. Sometimes the CGI looks a bit shoddy, but it kind of also kind of works with just the stylized look that this movie has. And I, th- I don't know, it works really well, just like, because it kind of looks cheap, but almost like, like it's intentional. So I give it a pass, if you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, and they clearly use a lot of practical <laughs> effects, you know, with the explosions and things, you know, which, you know, is very fitting of the period they're setting it in. Oh, Stanley makes a cameo <laughs> in this film. He's the officer. Uh, actually, you know, yes, he has got a cameo, but he shares a cameo because he's also sharing a scene with Red Brown, who played the title character in Captain America from 79, in Captain America 2, Death Too Soon, from also from 79. It was a busy year <laughs> for him. Wow, wow. So you've got them both playing officers in a scene together. Yeah. We should mention the, um, you know, like Steve Rogers before he gets that super serum and what this movie was doing with that effect, having a body double, putting Chris Evans little head on him at the time, this was, this was mind blowing. I remember watching Mm. this being like, what the hell? And just not comprehending. How did they do this? (laughs) Like this is, and I mean, it's, it's literally just, CGI head, like it's not it, a big yeah, deal. He's head to someone else's body, but you know, yes, I, I was like you though when watching for the first time. You know, wow, you know, it looks great. I mean, watching it now for the most part, of the movie does still hold up. But I guess we're even more used to seeing him as Steve Rogers now, so it's even more so jarring to look at. <laughs> yeah. But it, it does, it does still still work. I mean, yeah, I mean, not perfect. I agree, but. A lot of the the visuals in this movie do do still still hold up. Oh, it's not a perfect a, movie. It's it's not. It's a quickly, I just want to mention <laughs> Tommy Jones. He's in this movie. I mean, oh shit! Yes, get from the film. He is. He's bloody fantastic in this. And, and do you know what's always Cheetah Phillips? If you're looking for his name for the character. Um, that's the thing with, with these, with these Marvel films, like even if the role isn't, I mean, for this Tommy Lee Joe, like this is quite a big role for this character, but sometimes when it's a minor role, they'll just say, Hey, let's just get that person. They're really talented. Let's put them in the movie. It doesn't matter how small or how big the role is. If they're talented and they want them, 
they want to put him into that role, they'll do it and they'll get someone. And the MCU is not short on getting talented actors to fulfill their roles. Oh, definitely. Yeah, they often have so many, so many big names in there. Oh, we get a new Howard Stark in this film, now played by Dominic Cooper, who is a younger Howard Stark. He did come back for Agent Carter. And I can't think which one, but he's also in a later film. But then they'll also bring back Slattery as well. Like he comes back in Endgame, doesn't he? And um, yeah, yeah. So like the longest, well. I think was it Slatter? I think it was Slattery in Captain America: Civil War. In you know, like where they have yes. the, the bath simulation. Um, yeah, for the longest time, it was. I thought they had sort of moved on from Slattery and was was just keeping. Dominic Cooper as the young Howard Stark. But I, I guess that was the TV show influence to the Agent Carter appearances and stuff. But yeah. Did he appear in more movies though? I'm trying to think now. I think somehow I remember that he did. But I know Slightly came like, back for um, Ant Man and Game. Oh, yeah. I'd have, yeah. To, I'd have to go back and, and look. But maybe Dominic Cooper was just here in Agent Carter. But, you know, after. I just can't think of any other time that. No, I've got no more. Got no more examples. But either way, like, <laughs> you know, he's a he's a good young Howard Stark. Uh, we get a with having Howard Stark as a character in his, you know, like we get to see him at like you know that that expo and stuff at the start of the film. He's showing off some tech that isn't quite there yet, so it's sort of like ah, uh, you know, there's a future, but we're not quite there. Which I thought was. Kind of cool. Lots of cool little things there. Oh, the original Human Torch costume. Just gonna say, makes an appearance. Jim Hammond. That was the name of the original Human Torch. The the android, one of the original invaders. Captain America, Bucky. They were invaders along with uh, Namor, the Submariner. Right. Yeah. So that was yeah, pretty cool seeing the original Human Torch. The Avengers. Let's talk Avengers. 2012, directed by Joss Whedon. Yep. Yeah, all right. I was waiting for the synopsis. No, that was. I was. I was pausing to allow you to do the synopsis. Oh, Come right. on. Three hundred episodes. Your Get approach, it together. Our approach to this synopsis thing with these six movies has been different every time. Admittedly, we've been a bit free and loose. It's all good. When Thor's evil brother, Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston, once again, gains access to the unlimited power of the energy cube called the Tesseract, Nick Fury, once again played by Samuel Jackson, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., initiates a superhero recruitment effort to defeat the unprecedented threat to Earth. Joining Fury's dream team are Iron Man, Captain America, the Hulk, this time played by Mark Ruffalo, Thor and Black Widow. And Hawkeye. Sorry, almost forgot him. That was not intentional. <laughs> yes. Not intentional. Oh man. Um, yes, the Avengers. Oh my god. Yeah, first I'm just gonna I'm gonna go jump straight to the music straight away because Alan Silvestri, this score, it's annoyingly in my head forever. I cannot hear it, it is from the amazing. beginning to almost the end. And although we didn't credit him. He also did the score for Captain America. And do you know what? A very good score in that. A very timely, the, the World War II sort of influences and stuff. Really good, good score again. 
the Avengers. Here we are. Like, what an event. What oh, this, this was all building up to. This was a, 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 this was a big year for me. Obviously, Avengers. My eldest was born this year. And I remember the first time watching Avengers. It was the midnight screening. Watching on a big screen. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And for the first time in the MCU, I'd clearly enjoyed them all up until this point. But I'd watched it with a few mates and then went back to my partner and said, hey, let's go to the movies. Again, she was pregnant at the time, (laughs) but she did it. And yeah, like back to back, like, you know, close times, I watched it twice at the cinema. I just had to go back for a second viewing and get more. I like how I like how you said like 2012 was a was a big year for you. Um, I'm going to piggyback on that and say so. It was also for myself. Um, it was the year that I met my, I guess, future wife. That year, which was cool. We were actually working together. I was working at the um, one of the local cinemas here in um, in Perth. I was actually working the midnight screening session, so. I got to obviously managing the site. I was actually the one who gave the all clear to be like, yep, okay, we can play now. Like you had to actually sit there and be like, give the all clear. So yeah, that was, that was cool. Also kind of annoying. Cause I was like, I just want to go and watch the bloody movie, but it was also awesome. Cause when I did eventually get to watch it the next day, once I had a really good nap, I just went back a few times. Yeah. I didn't have to, I didn't have to pay. Because I was okay. working at the cinema, it was I mean, awesome. I did. It was, it was, it was awesome. worth it. It was worth. I would have paid. I would have paid a few times, but it was it was the perfect time to be working at a cinema because to watch this movie, I probably watched it like four or five times just because it was great. Well, I was paying each time, so I watched it twice, and then of course picked <laughs> it up on Blu-ray, and I've watched it many times since. But I just remember, like, obviously, like watching the the five movies that we had watched obviously leading up to this, it was building. We knew what was coming. You know, this movie was announced. It was, it was constantly being teased. We were meeting these, these key players, these key characters that were going to make up this team. Iron Man, a version of the Hulk, um, Thor, Captain America. We'd already had a brief thing with uh, Hawkeye. Obviously, we had met Black Widow, Nick Fury, Bill Coulson was going to be back. It was all coming together. Um, we had been introduced to the Tesseract at the end of Thor. You know, there was a bit of a focus on it with Captain America's first Avenger and then obviously, you know, lost in the ice with, with Captain America. But who wasn't excited for this? Who wasn't like, this is the biggest thing to happen to comic book cinema? Oh, ever massive! I mean, ever. this this was the first <laughs> MCU film to earn a billion dollars. Was this the first comic book movie to earn a billion dollars? No, I think The Dark Knight did that. I'm pretty sure. Oh, right, and that would have come. But before you know what? This. It ended, this 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 became the highest-grossing film globally ever. And think. Made up Ever. of the B team <laughs> of Marvel characters in here. Actually, wait. Was it the highest? I mean, this is 2012. 
No, Titanic and Avatar were still yeah, no, ahead no, of it. Wasn't, it I wasn't definitely just lied. I lied. I lied. This was the third highest grossing movie globally ever. So this is what happens when you don't have notes on this stuff. You just make <laughs> shit up. Anyway, it made a lot of money. It was the highest grossing comic book movie ever. Let's go with that. Nonetheless, it's all good. <laughs> we forgot to mention where we leave Captain America at the end of his movie, modern day. Nick Fury shows yeah. up. It was a great way to end it. And it's what I was talking about earlier, how instead of just moving forward all the time, they'll take a sidestep. So we've got this flashback adventure with Captain America during World War II. And then it brings up to speed with, or getting us ready for Avengers. And it leads directly into this movie. Yeah, it's, it's like a necessary sidestep that we need to take so we can get introduced to this key player in this mm-hmm. Avengers movie i just like remember that time that shield had you know a random office in the middle of Times square good times <laughs> you know what? i want to they don't think about these things <laughs> <laughs> yes i want to get the stanley cameo out of the way early because the movie did not right if you <laughs> are watching the avengers for a stanley cameo you have to wait for about two hours, 10 minutes. It's, it's the end right of the movie. It's just, it's the end of the movie. He's at the end. He's playing an old man being interviewed at the end of the New York battle montage who says, superheroes in New York, give me a break. Give me a break. <laughs> Which is great because he based all his heroes in New York <laughs> in the comics. Good stuff. Where do we start with this movie? I mean, you've gotten that out of the way. Where do we start? Where do we, like... How do you feel about this movie? Do you love it? Do you love it? It's great, isn't it? It's good. Right, (laughs) okay. Yes, I do. I, yes. This film is great. It was, it was groundbreaking at the time. And admittedly, I have seen it a lot. And I guess it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, going back and doing a full MCU rewatch, the ones I've seen the most, I'm getting less out of with the rewatch because I've really seen them. But you, you know what you're going to expect. Yes. Nothing new. You kind of just wait for things to happen. But this movie, it's, it, it's a lot of fun. Like, we get a lot of superhero tropes in here, but it's to be expected. Like when Thor and Iron Man first meet, they fight classic superheroes they fight until they become best friends like in the will ferrell movie step brothers did we just become best friends (laughs) and you know so they get that out of the way cap comes in between them you've got a great villain in in loki you get the throwback to world war ii with captain america and You've got the old guy in the crowd that won't take a knee to a bully and then Capcom protects him. And I like the fact that you've got the gods in the sky. You've got Black Widow, Hawkeye on the ground helping civilians at the time. Yeah, yeah, just loved it. Loved all of that. What about you? (laughs) I mean, yeah, all of that. And and then some, like, it's... It is great stuff. The I mean, I always say the biggest achievement of this movie was you've got all these big characters, all these major characters and they're sharing screen time and it just feels so naturally balanced 
and just well executed, whereas it could have it could have fell flat, failed so easily. And Joss Whedon manages to balance that and give us a bloody good time in in, in doing it. That scene you mentioned with that um you know that that old guy in 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 Germany where he stands up and it's like like I'm not gonna kneel to you you know like I don't kneel to whatever he says it's something it's so it's simple but it's so powerful it's like there will always be men like you you know like just not not standing up to to a bully it's just like we're watching a comic book superhero movie everyone's bright and colorful and then there's this moment where this man is is basically saying like no like not going to stand up to to someone like you demanding it's just like it's a powerful moment it's it really it's is just, and then it's what crazy. happens iron man arrives AC/DC. calls him reindeer games yeah <laughs> for acdc oh, i love the name so he hands but it out. works hey, though calls works. him reindeer games he calls thor point break which they do a call back to that in ragnarok Shakespeare in the woods. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Shakespeare, in Shakespeare in the park. Shakespeare in the park. Yeah, it's in Yes, this is the yeah. movie where I think the MCU became quips. Uh, the quips are the way of the future. I think. I <laughs> like, mean, just reading every, it's yeah, what it does. every character is quipping, just quipping so much, and you know, like it, it gives a lot of humor. Um, it really there's a lot of energy to, to all of that but there's a lot of quips and sometimes the delivery of some of the lines like I sp- maybe it's because you just watched the movie so many times but it's just they just seem so staged and I'm like oh. so it kind of takes me out a little bit yeah um, I mean it, you, yeah that can happen more so when you're dealing with quips because some people are going to be better than others at doing that well, that's, there's even that... some lines from like Robert Downey Jr. is delivering some lines. Like when he lands back, when he gets back to the like Stark Tower, and it's like, "Oh, tell him I'm not in. I'm actually out." Like just the way he delivers the line mm-hmm. just sounds really strange. And then I don't know. There's seen there's just some some lines from like Black Widow, and she's like, "I don't see how that's a party." It's almost like it doesn't feel natural and there's a lot of moments like that that i'm like but you also get cheap. some great lines like oh, some Thorky lines. is <laughs> like we've got an army stark we've got a hulk there's there yeah. is i get what you're so saying good. but there is a lot of good lines as well oh captain america saying hulk smash and yeah, then he's handing the out hulk just cutting loose yes he's handing out instructions and, it, and it's it's great. And going back to that scene with Loki and Stark, and he's like, you know, Earth's fights heroes. It's what we call ourselves. And, you know, straight from the comics. And it's great. But it is, I agree, it's, it's very quippy. And sometimes, I mean, what was that? There's a line of dialogue. And I mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast. The first X-Men movie that Joss Whedon wrote, and it's Halle Berry's Storm. And she says, "Oh, the toad line." You know the what t- happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing as everything else, or the same as everything else. He's like, "Oh, jeez, he did that." <laughs> you know, it's not all gold. <laughs> it's interesting going back to Avengers, Avengers: Age of Ultron, Agents of Shield, 
and Joss Whedon lays all over that. And now he's gone. He's been gone for <laughs> for a very a very long time. But you go back to this movie and he really does deserve a lot of credit. Like he was the one that suggested to Marvel that they should be a bigger villain plotting behind the scenes, which enabled Loki to conquer the earth, and that someone should be Thanos, the Mad Titan. Mm. That was all that was all Joss Whedon. Credit where credit's due, I guess. And we do get uh, a big purple head at the end of, you know, this this film. And we're all just like, I mean, I'll admit, I was like, who the freak is that? Like, I got no idea. And then um, brushed up on my comic knowledge going forward. I mean, I, but, um, I did. When I, when I saw him, I did. But for the most part, like, people would joke about Thanos in these early Marvel films as just in a big, like, floating toilet <laughs> like a big floating seat in space <laughs> like he was just constantly just constantly pooping yeah just i mean doing what, space poop. i mean what film was it was it uh, one of the post-credit scenes on ragnarok and thanos is finally like i'll do it myself <laughs> like after, yeah, it doesn't even and it doesn't even make any sense because he's picking films. up a gauntlet he's like I'll, I'll do it myself mm. you know what we didn't mention earlier when talking about thor his his eyebrows, his blonde oh, beard, yeah. his blonde eyebrows. Blonde eyebrows. This movie fixed that. They, this movie fixed <laughs> it. They got rid of that. So Thor is looking on point in this movie. He looks he looks good. Iron yeah. Man with his suit looking on point in this movie. The Hulk redesigned to sort of match Mark Ruffalo, a little bit brighter, greener, away from that very dark, scary, Incredible Hulk movie. Um, and Captain America, updated costume, very cartoony. But do you know what? I love it. I just love in this movie, it works. I like what they do with these costumes later on, more realistic. Mm. It's a bit spandexy here, and they poke fun at it later on. But I don't yeah. know. I like the cartoony Captain America suit. It I works like it. for me. I like it. Yeah, I do not like it at all. The worst thing, <laughs> I, I really, I don't like it, but I, I get it. I understand it. Even, with, you know, I get the story point that his costume, you're supposed to see him coming, is to inspire. Yes, cartoony, primary looking, but it's the worst Captain America costume by a long shot. And the worst, the worst thing about it is the helmet. He's just got this bulbous head. I I don't like it. <laughs> so round. It's yeah, so I don't round. like it. But I but I get it. Like Steve Rogers in the film doesn't go out and seek the costume. He's on. He's at the Quinjet, and it's what he's given. It was Coulson, man. Coulson did it. And Co- Coulson's a fan, <laughs> you know. And Coulson dies, and he's the one that brings the Avengers together. And Fury tells a little white lie about the bloodied card but you know he gets the team mm-hmm. together but no that like captain america costume shocking <laughs> but i agree with you about everybody else that shot though you know when they're they're in new york you know the battles much happening but the, the whole the whole gang's there the whole team's here and it's that that 360 sort of shot yep. around the whole team they're all standing there i mean they all look good. Even even that Captain America suit. They all look good. I can't give you the Captain America suit, but 
that shot 360 <laughs> yeah it's fantastic um in the middle of a battle makes no sense whatsoever to just stand and posture but <laughs> visually it looks <laughs> great and it was in all the trailers and you know i mentioned i went back to watch it at the cinema and that was the scene that was in my mind i want to go back and see that again and i know you know the scene saying this... we're going to get to phase two but they do the equivalent of that shot within like the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> it's got them in the woods. Oh, it almost freeze frame. It's like they went too early with the sequel. But in this movie, <laughs> excellent. The one scene that I, I just love, like visually and, and just like epic Avengers fighting is in, in the middle of this, the Battle of New York, there's like this shot. It's a, it's a continuous shot. Can't, like, every time I'm waiting for it to happen, I can't exactly remember exactly where it, where it does. But it kicks off, you know, Hawkeye shoots an arrow and it tracks it. And like Iron Man's flying into scene. And then, you know, like uh, Black Widow's jumping on shit. Basically, it's just one long tracking shot. Everyone's doing something. They're jumping on Shatari, bloody ships and stuff and kicking ass. And then, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just epic. And then it ends with Hulk. Punch and Thor. Great. <laughs> you know, like visually amazing, epic, yeah. and then end with a gag. And I'm like, perfect. Some so, films, action films, can fall a bit flat in the third act. And it's not always the best thing about the movie. For me, Avengers, the last half hour or so, incredible. The Battle for New York is absolutely fantastic and we mentioned you know the avengers all stood there and posing the 360 angle but before that they don't have a hulk banner is elsewhere and then he rocks up on his moped and there's an exchange between him and captain america and he's like we need you to get angry and he's like oh you know again it's been a, <laughs> been a while since i've seen it a good couple of or maybe a month and he's like well, he says i'll tell you he says well, that's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. And yes. then he turns into the Hulk and he, he punches it. He does, but it's kind of like mid-turn and, <laughs> and it's just oh, amazing. Right. And then, you know, cause, and there's that bit where they're in battle and Iron Man is free-falling and Hulk jumps up and catches him. It's like, oh, there's so much just working. The Hulk the is incredible. Incredible. Okay, wow, that was an accident. You're not <laughs> wrong though. Whole, yeah, in this film, especially in this, film. in this movie. Like this yeah. is this is and then you've got this. like you know, Stark almost sacrificing himself, goes up into the void, and then he he free falls and he lands and it gets me every time when you have know, to trying to <laughs> to wake him up and then it's Hulk yelling. <laughs> Like in his face, or <laughs> growling. Yeah, and the he's just roaring at him, and the look on on Stark's face, like you know, the shock when he realizes what's just happened. But what what I found though, when doing prep for this, that was Tell improvised was by Mark Ruffalo. How was it? <laughs> well, it was motion capture. That's what. That's why. Oh, so right. Okay. Added the effects afterwards, but it's Mark Ruffalo <laughs> over. Downey Jr. Oh, weird. Roaring. It's, it's, you know, you mentioned, you, you mentioned, you know, like Tony Stark making that sacrifice play, you know, taking the missile up into the void. You know, like, it's, it's just 
the the whole arc of his character, what we had seen previously, and then even the conflict, especially between him and Steve Rogers, where it's like, you're not the one to make the sacrifice play. Like, you won't lay down on a wire. And Stark is like, I'll just cut the wire. You know, that exchange. Like, I'll, I'll outsmart the yeah. system and, and find a shortcut and just get away with it. But when it comes to it, he takes that missile and he doesn't question it. He's just like, I'm going to, he's ready to do it. Which, you know, eventually we'll see him make the ultimate sacrifice at the very end with the, with the unsnapping, as they call it. Good stuff. Um, but like, uh, the interaction between all these characters on the shield helipad, which is, oh, or the helicarrier, I should say, which is a, a helipad is definitely something different. It's just flat, doesn't do anything. The helicarrier, yeah, there's, there's so much going on. And I know there's influence from like Loki staff, which we eventually find out is the Mind Stone. There's things influencing them, making them sort of bicker a bit more than they really should. But it's all coming from a, from a deep down place in each of them. There's some good conflict. The the Hulk on the helicarrier is, you know, a, a, a threat. Black Widow has some terrified moments. Is there's so much happening? Black yeah. Widow talking to Loki. You know, they mention yeah, they mention things that happen in that Black Widow movie, which is cool. Um, Before Loki, though, you've got Black Widow, and they think they've captured her, but she allowed them to. They oh, tell yeah, her all the secrets. Working. She breaks free and then she does that same trick on Loki and it's brilliant. It it works so well both times. Hawkeye, with a pokey stick, under Loki's influence, I said it before, we don't really get a good Hawkeye until Age of Ultron. Yes, yeah. But because what can you do? I mean, I mean, this is a bloody good film. We both watched it multiple times at the cinema. Yeah, so good. But not so perfect. Good. Not perfect. There is problems. And for me, the whole Hawkeye thing is a is a detractor. But this film is is so much fun. And again, for a film of this scale to have this many moving parts and for them to stick that landing with the Battle for New York is just amazing. Kobe Smolders as Maria Hill. So she is probably one of the the only new major characters in this film. I mean, can I be honest? <laughs> yes, she's good. I don't know what is she to though? say. Well, is I, think, she good? I, think, I think she's good, but she doesn't do a lot. Like, she often says things to Fury. <laughs> That's... I always find, I, I find a delivery of a lot of her lines just very, I think very hokey and, I, I think she's better later on when we see her again yeah. in the future. Age of her, Ultron. Maria Hill as a character is a lot more interesting in the comics. Yeah. <laughs> to, she's fine. Like the character, and I'm not even just talking about Kobe Col- Smolders, like the, just the character, like how we get her in, in these films. And you're right, she does more later on. But in this film, she's kind of just there. I like that she's there as a character, but she, yeah, was, she's not bringing a great deal in this film. We get a whole lot of I mean, Fury, and he's great, and he's great. That's that's all that matters. She's, I was just going to say on on Maria, really, you brought her up. <laughs> <laughs> I just figured we mentioned her. She's the only like new character. We should talk about her. 
But um, I don't know. Have we? Is that it for Avengers? Have we? Have we talked about it? Is it? We have. Um, I guess from previous films, including this one, we've not mentioned Paul Bettany as Jarvis. Obviously, he was there from that first Iron Man film yes, where he becomes yes. Vision. Yeah, I did read in that first Iron Man film, he recorded all his dialogue within two hours. <laughs> and he did it because he'd worked with John Favreau previously on the movie Wimbledon. And they knew right, each other from that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, you know what? Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll record some lines. I read, I read something once, this is many years ago, and this was before, you know, he became, um, you know, Vision. And, you know, like, I think he was being interviewed once and he had done several of these, obviously before Age of Ultron, he'd done several of these movies recording for Jarvis. And it was like, you know, they were asking questions about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and stuff. And he was like, you know what, I, I've never actually watched any of these movies. And they, they were like, oh, the interview or whatever was like, well, oh, like one is like, they're just not really my thing. I'm not, you know, it's not my style of film. So I just haven't watched them all. And now he's, now he's vision. Now he's starring in WandaVision. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've but, read something with him where essentially like it was pretty much phoning it in, not giving a bad performance, <laughs> but it was just his voice. And he was happy to do that. And then yeah. age of Ultron happened. And all of a sudden he's in heavy makeup. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it became a much bigger job. Oh, but do you know is it is Jennifer Connolly is she his wife? Oh maybe I mean I I do remember hearing something about them together. I don't know if they're still together, but I think they were at one point, yeah. Yeah. No, just because like she ended up obviously kind of taking over the Jarvis role in a way. Like the Spider-Man no, suit. Right. Oh, I, th- I thought you were going yeah. for another Ang Lee Hulk comparison. But yes. Oh, yeah, she was in that. <laughs> they are still together, actually. Maybe, yeah, maybe they are. It's yeah. not in my notes for some reason. Oh, if we're talking about cast members <laughs> and their approach to the role, I mean, this is not phase one. What about Gwyneth Paltrow when she was asked about her role in Spider-Man and she was adamant that she's not been in a Spider-Man movie? I mean, Look, I... I... <laughs> To defend her, right? You know, she 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 just shows up and uh, does her performance or whatever. She knows, oh, this is one of those Marvel movies. Yeah, cool. She gets a paycheck from Disney. She doesn't know what bloody movie she's in. Who would? I, it's a small role. Like I get I'm it. With it's you, small. I'm with you one hundred percent. I just think it's hilarious that <laughs> she didn't know. But if you think about her scene, it's with Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau. Might as well be an Iron Man movie. Could have been so an Avengers movie. To be Spider Man yeah, Homecoming. Know. He doesn't know. All she does is come in and say, like, oh, where's the kid? Tom Holland probably wasn't even on set that day. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Again, it's funny. She's in a Spider Man movie. She didn't know until she was asked a question. Uh, oh, well. She got paid. We're, we're moving. We're, well, we've done it a couple of times already, but we are moving on from phase one. So let's a pin in it i feel as though we've done the first six films of the mcu are we doing a rating i, I mean i at the top i said we we would are we oh, did doing you? it i did 
What, what well, unless you've we... edited that part out, I, I feel like we need to commit to mm, it. Okay. What well, are we rating? Just rapid fire. Films? Just rapid fire. What, what the I, individual I think, films? I mean, I guess we don't okay. need to give a full on summary. We just wow. rapid fire. Oh, this is going to be off the cuff, though. Have you prepared this? Yep. Oh, should we do? <laughs> should we do one movie at a time? No, 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 no. All right. Okay. Yes, we will do one movie at a time. One movie. Okay. Cool. okay. You can go first. Iron Man. Four point five out of five. Ooh. Okay. No explanation needed. I'm just going okay. to drop the number. Yeah. I I feel like I'm coming in a bit low then, but I'm going to come in at four. Okay. Cool. Uh, what's next? Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Let's 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 do them in order. Oh, I can go first. Okay. <laughs> you go first. Welcome. Well, okay. I ooh okay. You know what? I'm I'm going to stick with a recommend on this because it's definitely worth watching. I'm going to come in at three. Same three out of five. All right, Iron Man two. I will give it. It's gone up for me. It's gone up for me. I'll give it a. Oh, I'm trying to think. Not too low. Three point five. Oh, I feel like that's too. I feel like that's too. Like really, a three. Okay, my three point five feels better. Three. Okay. Um, Thor. Thor. I'm going to come in at a Thor's an interesting one. Oh, okay. I'm going to come in at a 3.5. I'll come in the same 3.5 for Thor. Captain America, the first Avenger. 4.5. I'm also 4.5. With, oh, do I... Mm, 4.5. 4.5. And uh, the Avengers, I will... Should I give it a five? No. No, nah, there's too many annoying, quippy shit going on. Um, 4.5 as well out of five. Yeah. 4.5. If I if I was just going to go from like, you know, pure experience, like first viewing, second oh, viewing, yeah. it would be higher. But like, like a 10 out of 5. <laughs> if I, in, do you know yeah. what? Even if I'm, if I'm honest, there is enough detractors to bring it down from a 4.5. But no, I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to stick yeah, with I mean, 4.5. In terms of like pure enjoyment and just like the experience and stuff, like the Avengers is could be the most enjoyable, well, at least at the time anyway, was the most enjoyable comic book movie ever. And it's still probably one of the best in terms of just pure comic book fun, poppy comic book action and characters and all that and color. And it, it, it's great. But I mean, critically, yeah, I've got to bring it down. Got to bring it down. Got to bring it down a bit. Oh, that was interesting. Yeah, no, I'll, um, I, yeah, I didn't know we were doing that, but I'll, um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, happy yeah. with, I'm happy with that. I think the, the hardest one was Thor is it's kind of, for the most part, it's a 3.5. Sometimes it's a four, like, but no, I'll, I'll, I'll like when they're with, fighting frost giants, it's like a two, but then <laughs> I'll stick with what I said, but just solo movie phase one films. Yeah. Captain America, easily the best one, but then. Iron Man, the first one, is a close second. There we go. What about this as a as an interesting? Sorry, to just uh, before we before we wrap up, if we were to say, let's look at the three phases so far, and you were maybe to rank 
the phases. Where does this fit? Was this the best phase? Was this the worst? Not necessarily oh, no, bad, no, no. but was it's it... not. It's not. It's not. It's not the best phase. It is it is a really good phase, and it's laying the groundwork. But ooh, that would be that would be an interesting one. So part could, of a question. Maybe we could we could um, address that when we do phase two. Oh, what a tease! We'd have a better idea. It's honestly like recently just rewatching Thor Ragnarok, and as I'm watching it and enjoying every single minute of that film, and I'm like, this is easily one of the best MCU films. Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. Absolutely love that film. I love. I just remember being like, it's just too funny. It's not serious enough. Loved all of that. You know, from the first Thor film, 3.5, the (laughs) below average sequel, The Dark World, and then all of a sudden, (laughs) Taika Wahiti, Thor Ragnarok. I love it. It Absolutely love that film. But we've already reviewed it. So it's, um, it's out there. That's it for our Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 special. And that's it for our 300th episode. Please go subscribe and download this podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. And please leave us a review. It helps listeners just like you find the podcast. We're on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as That Film Street Podcast. And we also have our companion shows, Rewind and Review and Sounds Like Comics, which each have their own Facebook pages. Be sure to also check out our website, thatfilmstewpodcast.com. We've got a bunch of new reviews on their way. Jungle Cruise um, and Batman The Long Halloween Part 2, as well as the return, of course, of our movie show. Happy 300th episode. We want to thank you for sticking around for 300 episodes. It is pretty incredible still that we're, we're here, episode 300. 300 more or, <laughs> or thereabouts. I'll get back to You're you. You're nodding. You're <laughs> nodding. Oh, okay. I Ooh, will I'm starting get back to, see, to you on that. I'm starting to see cracks in the future of the podcast. Okay. <laughs> I mean, episode 600 has feel is a bit ambitious but we'll um maybe who knows your kids will be in graduating college they will be grown ups <laughs> <laughs> you've been listening to luke and jason the guys from that film stew see you soon <laughs>